The box, you opened it. We came, now you must come with us, taste our pleasures. Mortals, meatbags, and demon kind thereupon. This is modern escapism. <laughs> Jesus wept and welcome to the show. My name is Oodles, the Hell Priest of Leviathan, and joining me today, often seen flailing around the plains of Texas, swinging a chainsaw in the wind, it's Biggie. <laughs> Hello. Scholars agree there are seven deadly sins, lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy and pride. We found the eighth. It's Candy. Hey, hello. I'm all of them, actually. All of the above. <laughs> Doctor, scholar, author. Educator, philosopher, chef, wine sommelier, and cannibal, it's Gadget. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and he never leaves home without his boomstick, chainsaw, spare shells, and wife beater. You'll hear him saying, groovy, before you see him, it's Stig. Groovy. Hello. <laughs> Hello. And we have a special guest joining us in the coven tonight, producer, director, and eldritch horror, known for working on such films as Like Crazy and War of Words. It's the stunningly beautiful Craig Tui. Welcome to the show, Craig. Woo! I'll take that. Thank you for having me. You are more than welcome. Before we get into the show, please consider becoming one of our sexy and incredibly cool patrons to help us divide and conquer the podcasting world. Details are in our show notes, but mainly check out our website, modernescapers.co.uk, for more exquisite content and links to everything we do. Before we get into the news, Tui, who are you? Uh, uh, I don't know. Um, I'm someone who plays. I'm someone who plays video games online with Stig quite a lot. Um, I'm a, a film producer, writer, director, um, charlatan. Um, <laughs> I call myself the world's poorest entrepreneur. Um, and yeah, <laughs> thank you for thank you for having me on the show. Thank you for joining the show, and Stig, thank you for having mates in the movie industry. We never believed you. <laughs> is, that, is that why I was brought on to like prove him prove him yeah, not well, a liar that's it. That's excellent horror so, credentials as well oh, yes absolutely which is why we've got you on but before we get into any of that shenanigans it's been a busy week and there's only one man that can break that news to us it's Biggie's breaking news you may already know but he doesn't because it's time for Biggie's Breaking News. <laughs> That's right. And first off, E3 is back, baby. Yes. It's back in 2023. Apparently, yeah. it'll be in June. The 11th to 12th will be the pre-show events. The 13th to the 15th will be business days. And 15th to 16th will be open to the general public. That's all I've got about that at the moment. But it's back. So That's enough, really, isn't it? We're all going, right? Yeah, but on the expense account. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> We've got enough. We deserve yeah, it. I, I mean, it, it's, been, it's, it's, it's been a good. It'll be by then. By then, it'll be a good four years since uh, Candy stalked Todd Howard. I haven't smelt mm. him in so long. <laughs> <laughs> I am there's our, right, there's go, our invite gone. <laughs> yep. I might try and go this time because the time I did want to go. Something catastrophic happened. I'm not going to go into it, so I couldn't go. I even, I even got 
everything planned and everything just money wasn't crossed crossed hands at that point. But yeah, I'm go- let's go, let's do it. Well, we I'm can going. get industry purses from doing modern Work speed, trip. So let's do it. I'll be there. You can stay on my hotel floor because I've got a corporate account. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> woo, woo, woo. New sixth member of Modern Escapism. Well done. <laughs> Does that mean I get a cut of your Patreon? Ooh. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> your way. Do we get your corporate card? <laughs> mm. I tell you what, you got one of those. Got- uh, We've got one of those black Greg's cards, please. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. It's the Nando's black card. Yeah. Yeah, mm. that's it. That's what we'll take. That's all we need. Sold. Next. Um, so Google have confirmed they're shutting down Stadia. Oh. Cloud gaming service. I think we all one out could have seen this coming. nobody ever used. <laughs> we hardly knew you. Tech Giant has confirmed... That um, it will remain live for players until the 18th of January 2023. Although, this, inter- is, not, this interestingly, is not like Google, this. They've never done this. Kind of thing <laughs> They've never cancelled anything. No. But what they have promised is they will refund all Stadia hardware purchased via the Google Store, as well as any games and add on content purchased through Stadia. That's got to be quite a bit. No, it no. did nothing because no fucker bought it. It's about 20 quid each. The problem, the, 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 the problem is, though, that while it's well and good that they're refunding people, um, it's going to cause so much e-waste because you, can't, you can only use that controller for Stadia. But mm. it's just an X-input controller. You could use it on the Switch. You could use it on your PC for other things, but it needs like software to be unlocked for it. But nobody bought it, so it. Was, it was probably not that much waste because no one got one, did they? Well, true. Yeah, yeah. no one got one. Yeah. thing is, Usually you just use your phone, is, stuff like um, that. They were on the right track because Microsoft are trying to do this. They just launched it really poorly with all the games on it. Was like, oh, you can play these games that are five years old on it. Great, mm-hmm. and pay yeah. fifty four ninety nine for Red Dead yeah, Redemption exactly. two years after it came out. I remember exactly. when, it, when it came out when 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 Stadia was announced. And like, you can play Assassin's Creed Black Flag. Remember that game from ten years ago? <laughs> <laughs> like, the best yes! thing that came out this week was I posted this tweet in our Discord oh, uh, from Play On said on the twenty ninth. Um, they tweeted out Hot Wheels Unleashed has now landed on Google Stadia and then a day later they just tweeted out like, like a, a gif of Michael Scott saying alright then because it had just been <laughs> instantly like shut down <laughs> oh shame yeah next well the Department of Homeland Security would be interested in Overwatch 2 as it has detailed its defense matrix initiative to deal with cheaters and generally disruptive players and to do that, they're asking people to add a phone number to their account fuck and consent off. to their, vo- their voice chat possibly fuck being recorded. Off. Yeah, fuck that. Fuck nope. <laughs> a phone number to a... Fuck off. It's, um, so, so it's, yeah, it's basically you have to put on two-factor authentication on the Battle.net client, which means you need to put your phone number in, where you didn't traditionally have to do that before. Um, but it's also the consent is basically any voice chat can can be recorded or can be like if I guess if someone reports something my, in a game, I'm going to set up my neighbour's landline next door. <laughs> <laughs> so does that? What and then just phone them and say you've just been pinged a number to your phone. Yeah. <laughs> so, everyone, um, so is is that an essential part of playing the game? Because I was going to get that. I, yeah, I, now, got, yeah, because I've got nothing to play. Yeah, now, it's now, free as well. That's the thing. Yeah, it's free. It, it's free to free to play now. But uh, yeah, that's going to be essential into it. So to log into the game, even if you're on console, you're gonna to have to put your phone number into it. That's so fucking I, bollocks. 
I, it is fucking bollocks, but I put my phone number into like my shoes these days, so I'm not too sure. <laughs> yeah. that I can't think of a device. I went to pour a glass of wine in the fridge and glass. Yeah, I think uh, I, I, I think it's more that just given generally how scummy and predatory both Blizzard and Activision, the parent company, are, I kind of don't want to put my phone number into them. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I'm gonna though. You, there is a way around it. Obviously, you can do a man of the principles. No, I'm a man who bought 2042. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> no, <you're not. laughs> that is that is a problem. You can do the uh, scramble my number thing, can't you? Where you, it, the the system thinks it's a fake number and yeah. it will still text you like you do with a scramble your email. So I'll just yeah, do that. true. That's an option. Yeah. It's more the rec- yeah. record, recording of your conversations. I'd be more bothered about. Yeah, the thing, thing is, when you're playing Loads competitive of call games, got my number, so. the language that comes out of people and what you say. I mean, no, 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 some I of the conversations I, 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 that I've had, just, yeah. Yeah. I don't want no one listening to that. <laughs> what's the, um, I just had a really filthy joke then, but I didn't know what's the rules about swearing on this podcast. So. Fucking swear. No, no, whatsoever. Oh, okay, all right. No, but I, I won't tell that joke, though, because it was racist, sexist. It probably avoids it. This is a PG podcast, so don't fucking swear. Family friendly. Cheers. Next. Um, just to be very clear, I do love my PlayStation and I am a fan of Sony, but they've done it again this week. Sony's new reward program, PlayStation Stars, which launched overnight in Asian regions and Japan, users are expressing their concerns surrounding a perk tied to the highest rank in the scheme. If you reach level four, which requires you to buy four full price games, and unlock 128 rare trophies, you'll be given priority should you need to contact PlayStation support. Oh, my God. It's <laughs> as dystopian as it gets. Oh, my God. I think it's fucking brilliant, mate. I think it's hilarious. I mean, the amount of times I'm always ringing up PlayStation support, this will benefit me. Yeah. I'm joking. I've never rung them. <laughs> Ever. Yeah, I know. It's just it's it's the the shape of things to come. Everybody's looking at societal collapse, and it'll be like you know, it's going to be like that in Sainsbury's to get to the checkout soon when everybody's yeah. trying to buy bread. And it's like, how much bread have you bought this week? Mm, okay, you can go forward four spaces. Yeah, yeah, you're a good member of Sainsbury's. You can isn't, you can get your bread today. Isn't it? Um, that's Black Mirror, isn't it? Fifteen million credits. Yeah, yep. yeah, you, yep. yeah. That's basically what they're it doing. Is Black Mirror. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they've run out of ideas, so they're they're turning to Charlie Brooker. How do we we maximise shareholder value? The benefit, which has been called the um, Philip Schofield benefit, will essentially hand you a Q-skip over those of a lower tier or those who haven't signed up for the service at all. Yeah, You've been so thinking about that joke all week, haven't you, Biggie? I have. I'm giving him a yellow card for that joke. (laughs) That's a good one. Fuck those guys. Um, and sadly, um, announced, I think it was today or yesterday, Disco Elysium. It appears that multiple key leads behind Disco Elysium, including Robert Kurvitz, Alexander Rostov, and Helen Hindpeer, have been pushed out of Zoom? Zoom? Zoom. The company. <laughs> the company. And they're not involved with the sequel anymore. It's so sad. Yeah. That's, yeah something's going on there, isn't it? That's yeah. tragic. I thought you were going to say they've been you know, like me too and come out and no come out as <laughs> oh, yeah. disgusting human beings. That would have really disappointed me with that mm. game. Yeah. yeah. It's, but it's still that's very, one very of the best games best games of recent memory. Yeah. And knowing that a sequel or a next project's not gonna have the team that brought that to us is pretty fucking it's, sad. Um 
I, th- I think it's because of Amazon's involvement because Amazon are making a TV series out of um, or a film out of oh, uh, Disco Elysium. Leave games alone. And the yeah, the big the, the big problem is that you know they are an artistic company. Like I think this will yeah. probably end up killing the company because the whole thing with Disco Elysium is it's a massive swipe against corporatism. I yep. think they've probably hired a bunch of TikTok influencers to write the script for two, aren't they? Because the first one was too nuanced. Probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> yes, I'm very sad about that. But it, but I I would also prefer Zayum to just cease to be, and we have this one perfect game, rather than them ending up making Amazonified versions of it. Where, however, though, think of it on the other side. If they've split, we might have two good teams now doing different I, projects. I'm not. I'm well. Me and Stig have this conversation all the time because I've got a blanket. Don't watch sequels um, unless yep. unless enough buzz comes out that it's absolutely amazing, and then I'll check it out. But just as a blanket rule, they only like Batman versus Superman. Oh yeah, that's the one. I've got it tattooed <laughs> on my face. Um, yeah, but, um, but but sequels only exist to you know generate more revenue and if that team are that creative and that brilliant rise which they are it's the best most it's the most brilliantly written game i've ever played yeah yeah um, definitely uh i'd just rather see them bring something new to the table anyway so if they're kicked out of the team as sad as it is they just might come out with something equally fantastic in a whole new yeah. universe a first person shooter let's hope so with rabbits <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> excellent any more news biggie just a weird one. The world of chess has been rocked. Rocked, I no. tell you. I love this. As a world champion has accused his opponent of cheating, and the <laughs> issue is still ongoing. It's did, you say, he, did you say how, how he was cheating? these things to our show? No, did you know, did, did, <laughs> do you know how he was cheating? No. Did you see? He's, he, had anal, he had electronic anal beads up his ass. <laughs> And there was a guy and there was an expert in the audience so that they could double think who was sending him remote control vibrations on what his next Ooh. move should be. You kind of <laughs> missed the you kind of missed the juicy part out of that news story. Easy <laughs> Mars course. Thank, thank you for handing it right to me. I, I knew someone would pick it up. I think though. Electronic anal beads is a good podcast title. That's an episode. That's an episode title. I think that has to it's be. It's a heavy metal band. It's a heavy metal band. Is what it is. Yeah. There was a follow-on from that that I read yesterday. Was that there was a fishing competition in America where they were catching fish, and then when the judges weren't looking, I've seen that sho- shoving lead weights down their throat, oh so God. they won the weights. They won. The- <laughs> Uh, What's it, happened to good sportsmanship? Well, the nothing first, safe first anymore. prize was half a million quid. So, and I think the fish kind of liked okay. it. <laughs> Probably. Kill what on earth are they going to do at the Bukaki Championships? Oh God! What, dude? <laughs> dude! Every time you know that 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 competition's not being done anymore. It's cancelled. No, they've just made it diverse now. Oh, oh, we've got oh, no, two no. of them, man. What's it? The Southerners. Oh, Sorry. no. You can beat the last word or t- or cut that joke out. I, don't I, I, I might beep it and just let the audience wonder what the hell he said. Please, please do, because I'll never work again. Is that, is that the news? Please. Uh, well, no, that's just about gaming, oh, no. mate. We've got films next. Oh, oh. Loads this week. 
Come on, then. So Hugh, Hugh hey, Jackman this is the big has been beast. announced. He will play Wolverine once again in Deadpool 3. It's all been teased over Twitter, I think, as well as everywhere else. Ryan Reynolds um, with a video and um, Hugh Jackman is alongside him. And brilliantly, they revealed how they're going to get him into the uh, movie and then bleeped the whole little sketch out, which was fantastic. Yeah. Really cool to see those two together again. This better be a proper part and not just like a tiny cameo. The amount that they've like put on this advertising for it. Yeah. Like, yeah. It'll put, that will probably be part of the joke. He'll be in it for about 10, 10 seconds. He'll walk in, he'll drop an F bomb, and everyone will go, He's back! <laughs> yeah, and then exactly. just don't, don't see him again for the rest of the film. Judging by that logo, I think he's probably going to have a yeah, big meaty part in it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I'm well up for it. Are you it. excited about no. that? Are you excited about it, Stig? I am. I'm well, I'm well excited about it. Yeah, I saw that and I was like, it was just like, oh, there's a thing about Deadpool 3 here. It's like, oh, we've been trying to get Deadpool 3 going. We might, you know, it's been a struggle, blah, 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 blah. And then Hugh Jackman just walks and he's like, Hugh, fancy playing Wolverine again? He's like, yep. And it's like, <laughs> shit. <laughs> and I love the way they did it. It wasn't at that yeah. big D3 Disney conference. It was just, we just dropped this on Twitter <clears throat> and to let everyone on Twitter go nuts over it. I was hoping that the big reveal was going to be that Ryan Reynolds has offered him a job as a striker for Wrexham. <laughs> Get him up front. Oh, there'll be some scenes in Wrexham in the stadium, won't there? Fucking hell. Actually, set the whole better, film in Wales. Yeah, we'll, there will be a big sequence set in Wales in a football field, wouldn't there? It'd be good if he was yeah. a goalie, actually, because he'd keep popping the ball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. Cool. Yeah, well, up for I, don't, I don't, I don't, I genuinely don't know how I feel about that news. It's like, it's like I'm not disappointed. I'm not like you've murdered my childhood, even though I weren't a kid when they came out. But I'm, I, I don't know. I'm a bit. Let's see the, let's see the first teaser trailer first. That's how I, that's how I am in my yeah. head. X Men isn't coming to the MCU for at least another four or five years. There is so, an element that might as well use him. Wolverine always sort of brought the shock factor because he was the more grown up, couldn't give a toss guy and that in the marvel universe felt cool and edgy but deadpool is cool and edgy so it's almost like he's the software yeah. do, do you know what i mean it feels like a yeah, weird, yeah. Fit, weird fit to me yeah i think it's a bit of a weird fit as well and i know in the books obviously they are they do team up a lot and they are like deadpool genuinely has a crush on crush on wolverine so i mean they could do a nice role reversal and you know wolverine's found his like in a, in a man child and he's all soft nowadays and he abhors violence and you know like you can yeah. do, do, do a sweet like but I don't think the fans would dig it no, no. I'd love it let's, let's see let's see how it goes let's see how it goes I'm 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 not waiting with bated breath but I'm waiting it doesn't need to be part of an overall MCU storyline either no. just it just have it be its own film and have Deadpool crack jokes about the MCU that's take take the piss out of it basically yeah that'll do me. Yeah. Next. Uh, apparently, there's a new Clover film. Um, sorry, start again. There's a new Cloverfield film in currently in development. Apparently. Yeah. <sighs> Next. <Brilliant. laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm serious. Next. In that. <laughs> this was always going to happen one day. James L. Jones is now stepping down as Darth Vader, as the voice, should I say? Jones's voice, sorry, Jones's voice was remastered from the original Star Wars films for the recent Disney Plus series Obi Wan Kenobi. Some of his voice was archived from recordings as well. They're apparently going to yeah. give 
permission for Lucasfilm to use artificial intelligence to recreate his voice from now on. It's worrying. So, no, I, so I, I, that was going to be my question, but the next question is, is I wonder if he still gets paid. It's still his mm. voice. That's what I was thinking. I would think so. Because well, it's still his voice throwing like this, isn't it? Throwing money into his grave. So on a, as an extension, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah we, by the time Darth, by the time, an, by the time Darth Vader gets another reappearance, he, he's probably going to be uh, mm. next year in, da- in um, Darth Jar Jar next year. Bruce Willis has just signed over his digital rights. Yeah, yes, so no, you know, as an extension. Of, no, yeah, he no, he hasn't. That that that, that was that was misinformation. What what, what okay. he'd done is he'd done a single advert in I can't remember whether it was China or Korea. Basically, the the Russia on it. Or was it Russia? Either way, it was, it was one, one advert somewhere a, a few years ago, which they'd taken scans of his face from, from when he was in Die Hard um, and kind of around the early ni- late 80s, early 90s to do yeah. an advert with him like that. And it was a one-off thing. Even the company came out and said, no, he's not signed over the rights to his face. That's his face. Right. It's just no, they, so, so they've done just one been reported thing. wrong, man. Yeah. We've got Bruce Willis NFTs coming very soon then, haven't we? That's what that means. I think it's, 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 it'll happen, Is every though? technology People... you don't understand, Oodles, just fucking NFTs to you these days? Yes. Yes. <laughs> this is, podcast is an NFT. He's too sick to work now, isn't he? So yeah. I thought it was actually quite a smart move because he can still, you know, still yeah. put money the only prob- for his kids. The only stuff. problem with it is if someone gets hold of it and and pays enough money, they could put someone's face against any old propaganda they want, couldn't they? Yeah. You can do, yeah. That, you can do that anyway, can't you? You don't need the digital rights. Yeah. If you're Deep like, fake. Um, yeah. Next. Anyway. <laughs> Someone that has done something else, a dance adaption of The Matrix is in the works from director Danny Boyle. I would ensure that I would take both pills to avoid this one. <laughs> <laughs> Why doesn't Danny Boyle just, con- just do films normally again? <laughs> What's He's he an artiste. I know he is. He's a he's a he's a raconteur and stuff. I get mm. that, but I, I do like Danny Boyle films as well. I'm not slagging him off. At London, all. London 2012. He's a genius. No, I, I genuinely <laughs> think he's a genius, but ooh, a dance dance thing of the Matrix. Kind of want to see it just to see what he does with yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, I want to see it's going to be, gonna it's gonna be, be awful, that scene that that look. It's going to be that meme of them goths under the bridge doing the Thomas the Tank Engine dance. <laughs> it's just going to be that. We've seen no, it. I would go and watch that. Would you? For two hours? <laughs> I mean, you would. If, if they could do a show with oh. loads of ha- like wires and, and have people kind of flying around and doing something, make it look spectacular. I mean, sure. It'd like look the Matrix in, in Broadway, like Billy Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of a weird uh, one, isn't uh, it? Yeah. <laughs> Next. Uh, community movie is finally happening. It's been announced, fulfilling the show's prophecy of six seasons and a movie. Yay. Finally. Mm. Up for that. No Donald Glover on ca- signed on yet. No. No. He's too big now, isn't he? Mo- is most he? of the original cast are coming back, apparently. But yeah, he's yeah. not mentioned. You're not going to get that childish Gambino money. He, that show just fell off a cliff when he left. It did. So I think you need to get him back on, to be honest. But it arguably, arguably yeah. also improved when Chevy Chase was fired. Yeah, yeah. like most things. I don't I know. Like, his, character, his character no, is fine. It's just Jim. he's a, p- a bad man in real life. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So we'll Next. see. It's nice, it's nice that it's happening, but I'd like to wait and see if they actually get everyone back. Yeah. Is Dan Harmon on board? Yes. Yes. 
that's fine then, isn't it? And there's, and, 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 I, haven't got any, I haven't got any jokes for that one. It's just a question. And the, the, no, the, but he, the, the, the stars confirmed be coming back. Joel McHale, Danny Pudi, Alison Bree, Gillian Jacobs, Jim Rash and Ken Jeong. So most of the principal cast. What, are the, uh, yeah. the Russo brothers going to direct it? That'll do. <laughs> Don't think so. I think they've got bigger <laughs> fish to fry. Like Donald Glover. Creating shit Netflix films. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Stiggy's uh, boyhood hero, John Cena, sets the Guinness World Record for the most wishes granted through the Make-A-Wish Foundation with 650 wishes so far for critically I mean, he was, he was a, an adult when he came out. Don't say childhood hero. Yeah. Right? Let's, not be, let's, let's not be daft. <laughs> that's impressive. That's, that that, yeah, that, that is. guy is... That's Confirmed lovely oh, man. Such a sweetheart. About 30, such a sweetheart. 35 roughly a year or something like that. Just filling, making sure he goes and does all these things in his spare time. Like, you, you just I've got a plan, Stig. I've got a plan. If you could go onto his foundation and ask him to come on our podcast, <laughs> nice. Are you going to pretend you're a, you're a child with cancer? No, no, no. no. I didn't mean to go that dark. I didn't mean to go that dark. I just meant to like, just appeal to his kindness. A child so? with a stub toe. Let's keep it PG friendly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Listen, like you can, you can rag on like wrestling all you want, but the, these days the guys uh, and the, the women in wrestling do so much for charity, and like John Cena has done so much uh, to free his time up to go and see sick kids who want to see him. You compare that to like there's a story about the Ultimate compare Warrior back in the day. Sorry, and, <laughs> I mean it's, just, it's up there. Like uh, no, but the, the Ultimate Warrior one day like. He, he, there was a Make-A-Wish kid for, uh, there and the, he said oh, all he wanted to do was meet his hero the Ultimate Warrior and the Ultimate Warrior was just like I can't be asked meeting no sick kids tell him to fuck off nice. do you know what I mean like, he does and, seem like a genuinely good egg doesn't he yeah exactly like yeah. some of the guys back in the day were just horrible people and nowadays Sergeant all... Slaughter wouldn't have done it would he no Sergeant Slaughter just pretended to be a war hero yeah like, genuinely <laughs> genuinely <laughs> has stolen Generally has stolen valor. He pretended yeah. it wasn't just the character. He actually pretended that he was an ex-military man oh, in yeah, real he did, life. Yeah. Oh, yeah, not good. Old wrestlers are not yeah. good people. <laughs> Next, you're going to tell me Big Boss Man wasn't even a cop. He was actually oh, uh, unconfirmed. <laughs> no, he was. He was a cop. Jake the snake did actually have a snake. Yes, he did. Have, yeah. And Chris Ben... No, I'm not even going to go to No. Chris ben. <laughs> <laughs> Next. I had a joke, but I'm not going <laughs> to. Uh, Netflix has uh, shown off a behind-the-scenes look at three-body problem. I've no idea what this is. It's uh, an ambitious adaption of an epic sci-fi book series from the Game of Thrones showrunners David Benioff and D.B. Oh. Now, right, you moan, but I've said this before. Let's not forget that when they actually did adapt the material, they did a fantastic job of it. It's when they yeah. had to write for themselves when they <laughs> shit the bed. So now they actually have a complete three novels to work with. Mm. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm bored I, with it a bit. I'm, wor- I'm worried with it because I've read the three body problem and I just started the second book, The Dark Forest, this week. Um, they're fairly impenetrable tomes. Like Game of Thrones, uh, like a Game of Thrones is light reading compared to these books. Because it's yeah. very, I mean, very wonderfully descriptive, excellent science fiction concept, but originally written in Chinese and not translated particularly well. Um, it's a difficult concept, and I worry that the transla- translating uh, uh, there will be a lot lost in the translation to TV. Um, plus, a lot of it is really reliant on you having knowledge of the um, the Chinese Cultural Revolution, 
Like you go through and it has footnotes in it saying this was this person, this happened here, this happened here. I had to go and do research to understand some of the shit that was happening in this book. <laughs> yeah, I started listening to it on Audible and I had to give up with it because it's really cl- critically acclaimed as well. Um, yeah. but I just, like you said, for those problems, I'm, I was just completely lost, like, I, which is a shame, really. I, 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 I enjoyed the book. Like when I got to the end of it, I thought that was a fucking cracking story. I really enjoyed it. The problem is, it's like because it's because the translation is done in such a way that it retains a lot of the Chineseness about it. You have to, you have to read it differently than you would read a Western book. Like you have just, to, like just all, do, oh, sorry, like all, all the all the world description, all that's fucking brilliant. But the dialogue is so stilted because of the way the Chinese dialogue is written, whereas it's very kind of factual and. You know, it's 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 you don't tend to get as much flowery language as you do in Western uh, writing. So it's kind of like you go from these very descriptive sections of what's happening in the world or what's going on to this dialogue, which is just like, did a child write this? You know. Mm. So, so I just downloaded Duolingo, learned Chinese, went and got a master's in history, and then read it, and I thought it was quite boring. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> don't bother then. <laughs> yeah. Next. <laughs> Love that. That's, that's the kind of content we need. <laughs> no shit. No shit. Gaming, gaming fans have been spoilt in the anime world as Onimusha and Nier Automata have both been premiered in, sorry, will be premiered soon. Particularly Nier Automata will be in January 2023. Is that a Western version or is it? What, what, what language? I'm not sure. No, it's, 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 it's in Japanese. It's done by a Japanese animation house. Oh, fantastic! Because that was a cracking game. Oh, fucking brilliant game! Yeah, mm. and the most anim- one of the most anime games I've ever played, just in its setup and storyline. I mean, yeah. I mean, going back to Onimusha, we haven't had an Onimusha um, game for about fifteen years. No. Does this mean oh, we're going to get another? One? I love series. that. I love that series. I'm, I'm way more into this same. Onimusha than yeah, than I am. Near news like especially because Castlevania was just so good. So just give, just keep. Developing all those Capcom <laughs> games. What's the third one? The one with Jean Reno in it. Yeah, yeah. Yep. That's awesome. Maybe he'll come back. <laughs> yeah, Jean Jean Reno went to Japan he and Samanosuke went to Paris. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Good games. Love love Animusha. Even the, even the spin-offs were good. Bring them back. Next. Uh, sadly, um, Japan wrestling legend and former lawmaker Antonio Inoki died at seventy nine years old. Yes, I just snuck this in at the end because um, this guy is one of the biggest wrestling legends of all time, especially in Japan. Uh, you could probably equate his how famous he was in Japan and Asia to like Hulk Hogan. That's like that's how wow. big he was. That's how big he was. Uh, he was a politician. He um, created New Japan Pro Wrestling, which is like the most successful wrestling company in Asia. And yeah, it's just a genuine genuine legend in the world of pro wrestling and he actually had a proper fight with Muhammad Ali nice oh like, is he that guy I, yeah. yeah oh wow I mean it's a terrible fight because um, <laughs> it was MMA versus boxing and Inoki spent most of the match on his back just kicking at Ali and it ended up in a draw but yeah he's that guy there's a, there's a brilliant video of him online as well of uh, did this kind of thing to pass his fighting spirit on to the people of the company where he just slaps them like everyone like just walks right. up and takes a slap from him in turn. <laughs> Three minutes of him just <laughs> slapping employees. Lovely bloke. <laughs> but it's just some kind of weird ja- Japanese wrestling ritual where he's just passing on his uh, fighting spirit. But, All right then. Yeah. 
yeah, a uh, absolute legend in so big loss for wrestling entertainment. That's, mm-hmm. that's sad. That's sad. I don't, I don't know who he is. Probably know if I saw a picture of him, but that's really sad. Got big is strong that the chin. news? Almost. I love a good chin. Almost. Almost. Oh my! Final word. announcement: The world of music suffered a loss this week. Oodles, do you want to pick this up? No, I'd like uh, carry on. Gangster Paradise rapper Coolio unfortunately passed away at the age of 59. I don't, I'm not to be blamed for this. <laughs> what did you do? Can we just put this on record? Can you, can you explain why there's a reference to you about this? So, Saturday when we all met, met up last week, I did Gangster's Paradise. I, I sung it on karaoke. <laughs> Days later, he died. <laughs> Fault. <laughs> is there any correlation? We don't know. Did I upset him that much? Was it uploaded on the internet? I don't know. Maybe he saw it and thought, peaked. Because, <laughs> 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 in my opinion, I did a really good rendition of it. You were dancing on the sofa as well at that point, I think. Yeah, you were yeah, well I into was. it. Well, it was he, was actually, he was actually in the bar and he saw it and he was just like, no, this oh, was it wasn't a bar. This was just walked Airbnb. out into traffic. Oh, okay. All right, sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll do my research if you ever ask me that one. <laughs> oh. I, I, just, I just feel like this podcast is cursed and when we say things, it happens or when we sing things or do things. It's happened a few things. times in the last couple of months. Yeah, like with stuff said, stuff. Stuff said on the Patreon feed or on here and then like a week later or something that, that something big news around that person happens. Do you think I've it's been, the cursed oh. item? Do you think that's what the source of the power is? Who has it at the moment? Oodles does because he wants to bring it to the podcast <laughs> so he's stuck with it for another year. It's you. I have it. The cursed item, I Craig, mean, by the way, is a picture of Sting from June in his big metal nappy <laughs> that he got as a Secret Santa gift. Yeah, I, someone got that for me as a Secret Santa gift and I palmed it off to Oodles. It's cursed. <laughs> Okay. And it sits above Oodles' <laughs> bed. I'm just going to complete this. You can bleep this out, but let's hope nothing happens to poor Vladimir Putin. <laughs> you should start a Deadpool, man. You should have a Deadpool <laughs> Patreon. That's, it, that's, that's a new feature, the Deadpool. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, writing that down. Is that the news? Finally, that that's it, mate. Hell, I thought you were going to say no. Then too much news. Fuck. Well, we're not having an holiday again, even though we weren't on holiday. We're still not doing it again. There's too much news. Let's move on to what we affectionately call the Nexus. We're going to find out what we've been up to this week individually, and I want to know what Candy's been up to because she's been quiet. Been quiet. I have. So I've uh, watched a film, and that film, as Gadget would say, was Pocus Pocus. Pocus Pocus. Pocus Pocus 2. Um, so this has today. been getting. You watched it today? Pocus Pocus. Yeah. So that. this has been getting fairly mild to poor reviews. Um, and I went into it possibly with the benefit of not having seen the original recently. And I don't actually remember that much of it either. Um, there There's seems a cat to be a... in it. I remember the cat. That's all I remember, yeah. really. Yeah, that's all I remember. Yeah, minks. Um, there has been a lot of hype around it, I think, like, especially among my, my goth friends. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of people do consider it like a cult classic, don't they, for some reason? Like, it never was for Just... me, really. Um no. But I, I went back. I went back and I looked over the reviews of the original, and actually, it scored more or less the same as as this one is now. It's just kind of sort of mildish reviews. Um, I actually enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. It was just silly. Um, there was a little bit of an emotional investment, but it was nothing too stressful. The thing is, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a kids' film. Like, what are you actually expecting from this? 
you know i i think there's going to be a lot of parents um like my age that saw the original and they're going to be watching it with their kids this halloween and they're probably going to have a good time um so it's set in present day so it's been 30 years since the original movie released fuck off it's been 30 years yep yeah. fuck off and 30 years in the film has passed as well since the events of the original. Um, it brings so. back the Sanderson sisters, um, a couple of familiar faces, and it introduces a new cast of teenagers. Um, one thing to note is that the Sanderson sisters are significantly less evil this time around. Like, there's no child murdering. Um, so the film kind of starts by going back and introducing them as teenagers. Oh, fucking Hocus Pocus has gone all woke. Ugh. Hocus Pocus. <laughs> Come on, Hocus Pocus. You missed Wokus it. Hocus Pocus. Oh, <laughs> fucking yes. Well, actually, it's funny you should say that. Like, I don't, I don't want to use that term, it's gone woke, because that's just stupid. But um, I was joking, does... by the way. Hocus Pocus. But it does give them a, a like a sympathetic backstory kind of thing. It sort of introduces them as as women who were basically ahead of their time and didn't want to accept the societal norms of obeying men, um, which kind of disappointed mm. me. Really, not that they weren't obeying men, but I don't <laughs> I don't make them victims of their own situation. Just make them bad for the sake of being bad. It's way more fun. Like you know, they I've made said deals it, with the devil. The de- they're evil witches. They're witches, and I've said it so many times on this podcast. Like. It's it's easy to have a female protagonist because everyone roots for the underdog, but what you don't have is that many female antagonists that are just evil for the sake of being evil. That's what I want to just see. That's what, that's what would represent me more. Well, the, the, the thing is, mm. the thing is, though, when they, when they, when they try to do that, when they try to do female antagonists that are evil for the sake of being evil, that's how you get um, Kingsman: The Golden Circle. <laughs> Fucking hell, yeah, yes. There is I mean, a there is an actual. Like, it's a movement in Hollywood that characters are not allowed to have negative traits anymore. Everybody has mm. to be nice. I got a yeah. note from a script that it's the next film that we're making from an American studio. It's Matrix, note, the dance. The dance. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> um, and the note was, um, this, this particular character is narcissistic and uh, misogynistic and um can you tone him down and i'm like he's the villain like, yeah uh, <laughs> what more do you point. want I, I don't want to make the villain sympathetic i want you to see his him get his come up and some really enjoy it like that's the entire it's point. not a world war ii film is it but no it's no it's a it's a <laughs> it's a horror set in the 70s when you know men were a lot yeah. more misogynistic and narcissistic and stuff and but it's just that I see it across the board now in cinema where it's like, oh, we can't give this person any unlikable traits. And it's like, ah, there's, there's, fu- there's fun in that. Even if your mm. good guys or your good gals are unsympathetic at the start, you can put them on a redemptive journey. Whereas if they're sympathetic from the start, where can you go with them? You know, so mm. it's, a real pro- it's a real problem. Even like, yeah, um, yeah like even like she's a big example recently. Even Thanos was given sympathetic traits. Yeah. Even though he wanted to wipe out Space half Nazi. of the universe, yeah, he, even he yeah. was given moments of like, oh, you, you know, he got his own film, <laughs> sympathize with him, and mm. you know, he's he does love his daughter and all that kind of thing. They, they try to make him, yeah, you know, it's, it's a weird one. It's like you it can, is. There's there's so many films like Jim Carrey's Liar Liar, and like you know, if they released it now, it'd be Cryer Cryer, and it's like if you don't <laughs> if you don't make him kind of a douchebag at the start or whatever the word yeah. should be is like where, where what journey can you go on with them mm. right yeah. and it's just fun to have baddies as well yeah 
Um, I do love a classic like eighties, nineties, early nineties. Just a baddie, just a baddie. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. But um, what? But I mean, going back to Hocus Pocus, I think also it struggles a little bit that it's. I mean, it is kind of a rehash of the original story, yeah. more, more or less, but a little bit watered down. Um, it hasn't really, it hasn't really adapted to the tones to suit a more modern audience. Um, mm. It's it's like they're trying to. It's it's a difficult thing to do to satisfy the original fans and also appeal to a modern audience. But we know that it can happen because we've seen it with Cobra Kai. We've seen it arguably with Scream. Like I thought Scream did well to appeal to, you know, the two generations of people that are watching it. Um, More about think, that later. But I think, like, in, in terms of the critique of the film that I've been reading, I think there's maybe a conversation to be had about critiquing such the, the finer points of a kid's film cr- quite as hard as some reviewers do like it's it's a fun film it's fine your you know your, your kids the, the original's out there but your kids don't want to watch a 30 year old film and relive your glory days you know may, maybe um, watch... my kids love hocus pocus one i am um, so terrible I'm a bit taste old. yeah i'm a bit older than you guys i'm 47 <laughs> and i was working in a video shop you're not when... older than bigger there you go well when the original hocus pocus <laughs> came out you know, I was working in the video shop and I remember it very clearly. And it, it wasn't a classic by any means. It was fine. People rented it and they brought it back and they went, yeah, it was fine. It was fun. And it's yeah, just... I don't, remember, I don't remember hating it. I just... Nostalgia, yeah. just, uh, nostalgia just does that thing in your mind where you remember it much better than it actually was at the time, apart from the things that are classics. But I remember Hocus Pocus very clearly as being, yeah, it's fine. And then over time, it's like, oh, that's such a classic. And it's like, no, you just loved your childhood. You know, like yes. it was, yes. it was absolutely yes. roast into glasses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah. I it was it was fine. It's it's not really it's not really deserving of the hate that it's getting. I don't think. No, I I thought it was fine. Like it's on par with the first. It does it tells the same joke. It does that thing with like legacy sequels where it's like, oh, remember this from the first one, but we're doing yeah. it again, but with modern technology. And it's like you already did yeah. that last time. You already did a possession number. You already did is this. there a cat in it? Yeah. No. There is, no, but it's not in the same not in the same manner. I'm not bothered then. Not watching it. But what it does do, which I, is, I, can I spoil this joke? We can always. It's up to you. If if you want to do this to people, it's down to you, really, isn't it? Remember in the first one where the whole thing about is a virgin must light the candle. When you're a kid, <laughs> no. yeah, a virgin is never. It's never. You never. You don't know what a virgin is when you watch that as a seven or eight year old. You just. Kind of go I just thought it, it was a, a, a can of pop. Yeah, it's like there's a joke in this where it, like it's specifically brought up by a child. But they just basically say, "What's a?" He says, "Oh, the virgin has to light." And he's like, "What's a virgin?" And it's just there, right there, like in, on the screen. Someone go like, like this. Yeah. So as adults, we we're kind of like, oh, like that. Uh, but my kids just didn't pick up on it and say anything. But I just thought, yeah, it's if my kids. Actually, actually, I'd say it's the internet provider. Don't actually, worry just about bring, it. they're actually just bringing it up. Um, and also, Midler looks exactly the same. Yeah. But they tried to make Sarah Jessica Parker look younger with makeup, but you can't hide the hands. That's impossible. Oh, I didn't look at the hands. My daughter she said... She still look like a shoe. My daughter said, um, <laughs> she doesn't look... She looks different. She looks way older. Like She looks weird with that makeup on, but her hands are all veiny. <laughs> it's because she's had so much sex in the city. So yeah. she's like, fucked no. up. So, but they tried to be, yeah, they tried to be clever with the whole like virgin thing yeah. and that kind of stuff. But it's can I happily give it a miss? Fine, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like kids Perfect. liked it, but fuck my kids, they're not watching it. 
Right, let's move on to Biggie. Oh, um, I watched a double bill of horror. In the Don't spoil for it! The, for the theme. <laughs> so I watched two movies. Uh, first one is Dashcam. It's directed by Rob Savage that gave us the fantastic lockdown movie Host. Uh, the premise of this movie is at the start of the pandemic, an indulgent and self-deluded live streaming improv musician abandons her home of LA for London. She steals her ex-bandmate's car and makes the wrong decision to give a ride to an elderly woman who is not what she seems. The film stars Annie Hardy, who's actually an American musician, who's the lead vocalist, guitarist and songwriter for rock band Giant Drag. Don't know him, but... Uh, also stars Amma Chadher Patel and Angela Inahoro. The entire film is shot from the perspective of either Hardy's handheld iPhone or the dash cam in her car. And as she live streams her actions for viewers whose comments on the events are also displayed, it's a hard watch at first because Hardy's character is just not only annoying, but a complete bitch to almost everyone she engages with. She's really unlikable. But then at times her lyrics are for her improv are generally actually quite funny. And it's when things start to go wrong that you end up warming to her. The camera focuses when it needs to. And once you let your disbelief go around people running around with a camera, even when things are going mm. completely fucking crazy, it's an intense ride all the way through to the end. Um, I really enjoyed it. I thought that the horror was great. Um, it's all shaky camera throughout pretty much the whole movie. That makes but me a bit sick sometimes, though, watching mm. those. It can do. But when the film needs to focus on, obviously, what the uh, director's he trying does. to show, it, it, he does. And I really liked it. I thought it was really funny. Um, I have seen the advertisement of it. So. And it's dark, yeah. It's really gory. It goes, uh, was, it goes places. I was going to watch this film until I heard out that Annie Hardy is a terrible person, so I took it off my watch list. Yes. Yes. Is she? Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know who she is. I, I just saw the movie. I had no idea that she uh, is like that. Oh, well, sorry. <laughs> In that case, and more positively, um, I watched X, which is directed by Ty West. This film plot... Um, follows a cast and crew who gather to make a pornographic movie at an elderly Whoa. couple's rural Texas property but find themselves threatened by an unlikely killer. It stars Mia Goth, Jenny Ortega, Brittany Snow, Martin Henderson, Stephen Ur, and Scott Mascudi, better known as Kid Cudi, the rapper. It's basically a homage to 70s slasher flicks like Texas Chainsaw. Um, cinematography mm. throughout is stunning. It's really well shot. And it really gives uh, a fresh spin whilst also still having that look of a film made in a different time. Yeah. Uh, Goth is fantastic throughout. Um, and the film has a real mix of humour and horror as well. It's full of fake outs, jump scares and gore. Um, if you like this, they've basically secretly filmed a back-to-back prequel called Pearl, which apparently um, is just premiering now. So that should be out as well. But I really like is this. It's sexy. It's really cool. Very. Very, yeah. <laughs> nice. I mean, Mae Goth plays two characters, doesn't she? She does. She plays yeah. Pearl. Oh, spoiler alert. No, it's what? not. It's not spoiler. spoiler. No, spo- no, no, you're right. You're right. It's not. I didn't actually realise until it's not integral to I the plot. She just, she just plays um, two of the characters. She just plays Pearl and one of the actresses. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm pa- up for it then. Pawn team. Um, I, I really liked it. Right. I thought it was really cool. I thought it was brilliant. I, I really enjoyed it. I li- I've liked all of Ty West's films, but they've all sort of, there's been something ever so slightly missing, but I just thought he completely nailed this one. Awesome. Yeah. Do, do you know what the problem, I, the problem I had with it was just the thought, I just thought people were just really stupid. I know that's, that's, that's the idea. Typ- I know that's typical sounds, horror, but like. They wouldn't work otherwise. I, when I watched the trailer, I thought this had something about it, and then I felt it just turned into a bit of a standard 
slasher flick. If they were clever, they'd just go home. If they, if, yeah, exactly. If they were clever, the film would be 40 minutes long. But it is, it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's a throwback to the movies of the 70s where yeah. the, the kids are there for the meat grinder. And you could do a clever... Yes. You could do a clever twist on that where actually they always make the right decisions, but then that's not what this film is trying to be. That's a modernization of an old genre. This is like a yeah. total throwback. It's shot on, well, I don't know if it's shot on 16 or 35, but it's certainly shot to look like it's 16. It's it does, lit, isn't it? Yeah. It's lit in that way. It's framed in that way. And the characters play those characters. So I think it's an homage that's not trying to modernize or I'm not anti-woke. I'm, I'm a, you know, I've got a 23 year old daughter and I'm a liberal socialist and stuff, but I just think that things can throw back and things can be regressive because come. they're telling that story, you know? So I actually liked that. It just, it was one of those ones where I'm the exact opposite of like when they just throw the, Hey, you remember this gag on the screen and you just go, I recognize that reference and you feel good. <laughs> Can't you know? Like it's, it's not that. It's a, it's a loving homage that, that just really yeah, wants yeah. to use the, the proper color palette. Yeah. Not, I, I enjoyed it. I, just, I, I enjoyed it. I just wasn't as high on it as others. But perfect for sexy Halloween. Excellent. Right, Tui, what you been up to? Uh, so this week was um, it's kind of a boring commercial one, but it's the Call of Duty Modern Warfare Two beta. Um, oh I'm, yeah, that's out. Yeah, I'm. Well, it's not. It's gone now. It was a one week trial, but. Yeah. I I was yeah, I was a big Modern Warfare fan back in the day, but then as it got twitchier and faster and more American, and you got yeah, older, yeah, and I got older and slower, and you know I I sort of switched from Call of Duty to Battlefield around the Bad Company Two era because I feel Battlefield does war more reverentially. It's team play, it's historical, it's you less, and me are the same person. There you go, bruv. <laughs> D- digital high five. <laughs> But then obviously 2042 was the worst AAA title ever released since Cyberpunk, probably. Uh, Do you agree there, Biggie? Because Biggie's been uh, going to bat for that game for months. No, I haven't. I just said it's improving very slowly and not quick enough. But I enjoy it now (laughs) more than when it first came out, without a doubt. I I keep dipping back in, but I still think it's hot, hot trash. So, Modern Warfare 2 demo... Modern Warfare 2 demo was free. Why not go and have a look? Um, I haven't had a look at it since the first Black Ops, and I hated it. It was so fast and wow. twitchy. You die instantly. Yeah, I was exactly the same. So I've been away for years, and this is phenomenal. It's slower. Ooh. It's more tactical. It's absolutely stunning to look at, and it uses the, the, the gun sounds and the graphics and the haptics in the PS5 controller to really give the meatiest gun feedback in any first-person shooter I've ever played. The, the I do the, love the, the, the haptic triggers on the PS5. It's one of my favourite things. It's so the whole, the whole with, when you're shooting a fully auto, uh, you know, carbine, the whole pad rumbles in your hand. Yes. And the sound is super deep. And, and it just gives this, and there's blood in it. There's no blood in Battlefield. And that sort of, for something that's trying to recreate war, so... yeah. Um, so intricately the fact that it's blood free just sort of feels like it's cheapening it this is you know this is violent this game is you know you feel like you're shooting a a, a you know a harbinger of death and the levels are very <laughs> very very well designed and the time to kill is right and it, and it just made me think i'm not i'll never give up on 2042 i think battlefield one's the best video game i've ever played in my life um but i think for this next round yeah, COD might win me back for a round. And, and, you it know, is but- nice to 
go back to something that you used to love. There's no, yeah. there's no better feeling than that. And you don't, you, you think to yourself, because it, it got to the point where they were coming out so often and so there was no variation to it. Like even I, and I'm not a first person shooter guy, but even I like the original Modern Warfare, the four. I, I thought that was sensational. What a game! And then you, you get the newer ones. It's like, yeah, it's got a campaign. It's ten minutes long, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, yeah, no, I'm half of that. They've definitely turned it around. They've, I mean, it'll be interesting to see when the game comes out if they nerf this and they speed up that and and stuff. Yeah. For for the demo, I was like, it it felt like a next gen game where 2042. I mean, 2042 feels like a game that was made remotely over lockdown with not a big enough team, not enough time, and not enough focus. It just feels like half a game. It feels like finally someone with reason. Yeah. <laughs> like this this. <laughs> This was tight. This was really, really tight. So, uh, yes, I had a really good time on that this week. That's good to know. When's it, when's it out? Is it out before Christmas? Yeah, yeah it'll be it's, uh, I think it's November. November. This month, I think. Really? October? I think it's the 28th, I think I saw somewhere. Oh, Christmas game then, that, innit? All, all the way through Christmas. Boom. It's all, it's I think it, isn't it going to Game Pass as well? Because Microsoft own it. Yeah, they own it. <laughs> I was going to say that I'm sure Big Your Candy will win a copy that they can give us, but it's going uh, ten, to ten, Game Pass. Uh, I was going to say 10th of November, that was the original one. 20th of October it comes out. Oh, wow, that's only a few weeks away. Yeah. Yeah. Any, cool. Any, any chance they'll have a no Russian in it this time around? I don't, <laughs> even know, I don't even know if it's got a campaign, but oh, yeah, very, very topical. Good point. Yeah, yeah. definitely go no Russians. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know when I first played that level, I didn't shoot a single person. Neither did I. I thought, I thought this is the idea to just destroy everyone here or not. I thought, and I was, I was also achievement chasing at that time. So I thought, oh, I bet there's an achievement for not killing a single person. There wasn't. And I replayed it. And when I played it, it, I mowed them all down because <laughs> they're not real. <laughs> Fuck it, don't matter. It's a game. But then the CIA are after me now, aren't they? Fuck. <laughs> oh shit! Listening, you're on several right, lists. Then, um, is that all you've done, pal? Oh yeah. Well, I was confused because I thought the double bill bit came after this. From what Steve it does, it does. Me, so. it does. I, Don't worry. Yeah, Biggie just no, likes to. Um, I've got more. But, but move on. We'll go. We'll go on to the main topic later. Don't worry, gadget. What have you been doing? Uh, I finished Monkey Island. Uh, uh, that during the week, and I will talk about that in the Patreon section. I'm leading people on. Oh, got to get them get them Patreon monies in. So I'll talk about that later. I I, I have significant thoughts, uh, but the main thing I did, I finished. He hates I, it. <laughs> no, I do not. Um, <laughs> I mentioned when I started reading this a few weeks ago. Um, I finished uh, Kings of a Dead World by Jamie Mollart. You did mention it. Yes. Uh, so this is a it's a it's a reasonably recent uh, dystopian sci-fi novel where. All of the Earth's resources are pretty much gone, so the United World Congress have this brilliant solution that to use less resources, most of the world will be put into artificial sleep for three months at a time, and then they're awake for a month. Um, That's what we should do now. Gadget. Yeah. Quick, quick question. Sorry. Yeah. Do you ever read happy novels? No. <laughs> no, why would I do that? <laughs> <laughs> you read Stay Jane Eyre last week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just wait, I started talking about Sophie's Choice. Um, so uh, yeah, so so as, as well, so these people are referred to as the sleepers, and then there are um, a collection of people who don't go through the sleep who are referred to as janitors, and they are people who execute kind of trades with each other to build up credits that the t- that this that the sleepers get to spend in the month that they're awake. 
Mm. Um, and then, as usual with these things, shit goes sideways. The story's told from three perspectives. So you have um, uh, Ben, an old man who was a sleeper, and he's um, having to deal with every time he wakes up, um, his, he's in his 80s. Uh, his wife's a little bit younger than him, but she has Alzheimer's, so she kind of doesn't remember what's going on. So there's a lot of kind of him having to just try and live with the fact that his wife is kind of with him, but not with him. You have Peruzzi, who is one of the janitors, who is lonely. He's never had a family or anything like that, and he kind of wants to know more than his existence. And then there is the story from the before times, which is back with Ben uh, when he was a young man, when he was a terrorist. And the thing is, this book has such a good setup, and it fucks it completely by the end. Absolutely fucks it. So... If you're interested in reading this, skip ahead because I'm going to fucking spoil the whole thing here because I've got like major. <laughs> I, I bought and, this on your recommendation last time. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> close your ears then because I've got thoughts. Um, I don't, I'll take I'll take my buds out. You just signal me when you're ready. All right. Okay. Fair enough. So the, <laughs> the problem is the um, everything is set up. There is some great tension to it. There is some great storytelling to it, but. Everything is set up in a way that just takes things to extremes. Like, like so, like the before time story is about Ben meeting his wife Rose, um, and then becoming he, he was like a philosophy lecturer. Then he gets kind of wrapped up into this terrorist cell as kind of tensions are starting to happen, kind of in the early to mid 20, 21st century when you know things are getting hard for people and like food is getting scarce and energy rationing is a thing. And this this group they, they uh, I can't remember what they call call themselves, but they basically start committing terrorist atrocities to try and highlight their manifesto that people should be free and people shouldn't live the way that the government's telling them to. And it's he loses all sympathy because you don't read the like before Ben chapter until you've read the uh, the, the the current time in the story chapter of Ben. So he starts off as this very sympathetic character, but then as it goes through it, he's doing some really fucking atrocious things. Like the time that they're living in, like global warming's kind of happened and the sea levels have risen. So like, you know, like London, it, like Liverpool's underwater. Um, London is protected by a seawall to stop the water kind of overrunning it. As part of one of the terrorist plans to highlight their manifesto, they blow up that seawall and destroy all of London. Yeah. <laughs> I'm into it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Sorry, Craig. But, uh, uh, no, mate, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing me a favour. <laughs> other, other, other things working around it as well. So this United World Congress, which is you know the UN, um, are you know they're, they're dealing, working with politicians in the in the past storyline to try and um, determine you know, how does humanity move on past this point because they're past the point where global warming is has become a disastrous thing. Um, people are people are starving and all that kind of thing. So when they're coming up with this idea for the the sleeper thing. You know, it's it's under the auspices of kind of riots and terrorism and people being unhappy for obvious reasons. Um, but it then gets to a point, and, and this is where I think it loses the concept for me, because he then describes the United World Congress as executing a coup and and publicly murdering all of the former politicians of the country. Um, and it's just like it it loses all of its tension, all of its power, because. You you stop then having this insidious force because they just become evil for no reason. Like there's no reason for them to execute the former politicians that let the world get this way. Um, you know, it's it's a really stupid device that that removes all of the tension from the situation. Um, 
And it just, as the book kind of goes around, you get these brilliant ideas in this, in this, um, in the future times, in the kind of when you know between people being asleep and people being awake, there are some really interesting moments. But then the ending is so rushed, you get no kind of payoff or satisfaction. Like I don't mind whether it has a good ending or a bad ending, as long as it has an ending. This it just kind of stops before you get to anything satisfying, and it's really disappointing because I love the concept of it. I just wished he'd executed it better. It's really frustrating. <laughs> I hear another rewrite coming on. A gadget second half rewrite. Oh yeah, I could rewrite. I could rewrite the shit out of this. Like I said, there's some brilliant stuff in there, but it's just marred by really stupid storytelling ideas. And the thing is, I think I'm in the minority on this because the book is pretty well loved. Like uh, all the reviews I've seen of it are pretty positive, but I just find the, the narrative decisions Jamie Mollart's made are really dumb. Like characters getting themselves into danger for no reason. That, or for, for reasons that don't make any sense to what that character would be doing naturally. Mm. Um, and I just, I find it really hard to sympathize with these people claiming, th- it's the whole thing, one man's terrorist, another man's freedom fighter, you know? It's, but with the actual acts that they're doing, they're not righteous, they're not, they're not done in a way to forward their movement, they're just murdering people. And I think that stops you being sympathetic to them because it's the same character in, in his 80s and in his 30s. Um, you lose the sympathy for the character when he's an old man and he's struggling with his wife. And, you know, like there's a lot of really heartfelt love in the story between Ben and Elderly Rose. Like that stuff, some of it is brilliant, but you lose the sympathy for him because you realize what a massive cunt he was in, the, in his <laughs> 30s. Because, so he can say cunt. Oh, yeah, he can yeah. say cunt. Um, because, more, because more than anything, he's following someone who is clearly a fucking psychopath. Like, Ben's not the organiser of these um, terrorist attacks. He's following somebody else. And the person he's following is a psycho. And, yeah, oh, it's just really frustrating. It's really let me down because, again, the concept's fucking brilliant. I love the concept. So, yeah, that's what I've been doing. Your mileage may vary on it, but for me, it was a, it was a massive letdown. Finding... Uh- it's very, very frustrating when you're totally committed to something and then they can't nail the ending. It's why I don't watch a lot of television because mm. television often just peters out. It's like, yeah, if you know, sometimes work from your work backwards from your ending. If you've got a great concept and know how to bring it home and then work backwards from that because then you'll get a dissatisfying resolution. And so often they just run with an idea and then run out of ideas. Yeah. I think you always have the hope that it's they've got a plan as well. Like, oh, it's shit for a reason. You know, they're gonna there's gonna be some twist, or they're gonna bring it back. I remember I was watching um, American Horror Story, and it was that season Roanoke. Yeah, and it just seemed like such a step down in quality compared to the other seasons. Like they were they were gradually getting worse and worse, but Roanoke was particularly bad. And I remember thinking mm. to myself, like, there must be a plan here. Like that they, they must be about to turn <laughs> it on its head. Like it's all a joke. No, it was just shite. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a reveal towards the end of uh, Kings of Dead World, which I saw it coming like quite early on in the book, and when it landed, it was just not very satisfying because it's not very well explained. So, yeah, like I say, your mileage may vary. It's pretty well liked. It's got good reviews on on Goodreads, and um, you know, people seem so to be liking about it. it. I <laughs> like I say, your mileage may vary. You might enjoy it, but. Did you just did you just read the whole novel to everyone then? That seemed like such a long time to sit and wait and not listen. That no, was only a couple of minutes. It felt like ages because I, I couldn't hear anything. I know because you couldn't interject. No, <laughs> but you loved it. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I will look forward to listening to that book. Um, 
it's time for just uh, me and Stig left. Uh, we're going to talk about something a little bit together, aren't we? But I'll go with the main thing I've, <laughs> I've been doing uh, this week. I played a game and completed a game. I bought and played and completed you this week. You game. games. Well, I did buy it. I actually bought it. Yeah. My God. A game called Tunic. Now, this is not a new game. This is it's released in beginning of this year, wasn't it, on yeah, Xbox? Yeah, beginning of this year. And it's only just come out on PlayStation, um, PlayStation 4, 5, and Switch. Um, now, I know full well that Gadget didn't really like this game. It, it's not a bad game. It just didn't do what I wanted it to do, I think. I am... Um, like, I reviewed it on, on Twitter. I give it, like, an 8 out of 10. Uh, like, a strong 7 and low 8. Do you know what? I really liked how it started this game. If you don't know what it is, think um, Zelda, uh, Link's Awakening meets Dark Souls and Candy's hair, basically. I so, yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's very obscure. It's very old-fashioned in its isometric um, action adventure game aesthetics and stuff. Um, like on those games, you start, you've got a map, haven't you? You know, you, you get a, a, check, yeah. a, a place to go. Go there. With this game, you don't, do you, Gadget? It no. throws you in and it's like, figure it out yourself. Now, throughout the game, you're picking up different um, pages of this uh, game manual, this like legendary game manual that tells you about the world. It's in a language that you can't read. And the more you go into the game, the more pages you get, the more you know about simple controls. Like, I didn't know you could uh, parry in this game until about an hour before I completed the game. <laughs> Because I'd not found the page that showed me how to parry, yeah. <laughs> which would have made the game a lot easier. Because it's not an easy game. This is a this is a fucking tough game. It's uh, there's only about five bosses in the whole game, but they're, they're tough. Um, again, if you've ever played a Zelda game, the old style Zelda, the two D ones, you'll know exactly how it plays. You've got shields, you've got a sword, that kind of thing. You get certain artifacts that help you traverse dungeons and stuff like that. But I think. The cleverest part of the game is squandered by the end. Like once you've learned everything that the game does, it's just a bog standard like adventure game, action adventure game. There's nothing to it. Uh, and I beat this game in about eight hours. Yeah, it's which, not a long game. It's it, I, I think the pace is perfect. It's not it's not over long. It's not too short. Um, you know how I play games. I just yeah. zoom through it. I didn't really struggle, and, and then I, I look, I'm looking up at the discourse on it, and people apparently there's cheats on it. Yeah, yeah, there's cheats on it. So, so, you, so you don't die and stuff. I was like, "Fuck it, I could have used that on that 80th time I tried on this boss." <laughs> <laughs> but it's that perseverance thing again, isn't it? When you can just checkpoint, 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 yeah. just keep doing it, and eventually you master everything. But it's a fun game. The controls are tight. It reminds me of that um, that Death's Door. Remember that? Yeah, last year. It, if you like Death Star, you'll like this. But I think, I think it, sound, it sounds it sounds right up my alley for me. I oh, think yeah. so. For me, eight hours is the sweet spot for a game. Yeah. I'd rather yeah. I'd rather play five eight hour games than one mm-hmm. forty eight hour game. Don't, it, don't it, do it, the It's really good. Like, yeah, like I said, it's eight <laughs> out of ten. So it that's a fucking great score. It's just the last the last hour in the eight hours. It just didn't feel like those. Those nuances that the game had with the with the world that's completely a mystery to you just wasn't anymore. You you understood the game mechanics so well, kind of like Neo breaking the code. Do you know what I mean? You can you can just see through yeah. all the mechanics, and I was like, oh, I wish there was some surprise right at the end. That'd have been lovely, but 
There isn't. I think. I think my issue, two endings though. I think my issue with it, not that it's a bad game, is it? It's a very good game. My issue with it is, yeah. I, I kind of, I guess, it was the same thing with Death Store. I kind of wanted a bit more Zelda, a bit less Dark Souls out of it. Um, Do you know what, mate? I felt like that as well. I, I thought I, I'd rather, I'd rather it be Zelda, more Zelda than Dark Souls. It yeah, doesn't need to be Dark because, Souls. Because I remember when it was revealed, it was revealed at E3 a few years ago. Um, and it, it was kind of pinned more as a Zelda-like game, and I think That's yeah, right, yeah. And I think if it had slightly more forgiving combat, for example, it, you die really easily in that game. Um, I think you get like three or four hits, and you're done. You're done for. Even even oh, at so, the end some, of the game. So, I mean, some some of the early enemies just flat out one shot you. Yeah, um, yeah, they do. Yeah, I find one shot is so cheap, even in the hardest yeah. games. Like I know you want that challenge, but the one shot is just nobody ever enjoys that. Yeah, oh, you, you should have heard, is... heard the swearing that was going on when I was finishing Sekiro a few weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, yeah, the thing like... is with with it. Got, before you say anything, it's like you, you can learn how these one shot enemies don't become a problem if you find the pages of this book that oh, tells yeah. you how to beat them. That's that's the clever. That's the bit I wanted all the way through, right until the very end, even to the last boss. But. The last boss is just the last boss. Yeah, I like and, I, I liked a lot of the components that they had in it, but I just I wanted to be. I think I wanted it to feel more like an ex, like an exploration adventure rather than a combat gauntlet. I think that's probably yeah. where it was. And this isn't a spoiler, but there's a twist it about halfway through this game that I was aghast. I was taken. I was like, "Wow, they've done this!" And I was like, "Oh, that's that completely subverted my expectations massively." And I was like. Yes, and that notched it up from a seven to an eight, in my opinion. I was like, "Oh, that's that's fucking clever." This this team, their next game is going to be a mind blower. I can see it already because this has got greatness in it. I mean, the it's one guy. It's fox, not a team. It's one guy. Yeah, that that guy, that that little fox is is so cute. <laughs> it's so cute, and he's got <laughs> he's got Link's clothes on as well. It's it's, it's it's just it's a really good homage to those days, but. Like most indie games at the moment, they have to have a Souls like component, <laughs> it's gone to it, don't they? Yeah. they? Have to, yeah. they have to, yeah. and even I'm getting sick of it. <laughs> I was at um, EGX last week as well because I'm developing yeah. a vir- virtual reality game at the moment, and one of the Woo. one of the um, quick plug there, and uh, you can see the link in my little window at this moment in time. Uh, you can't because I haven't sent you the link yet. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let you plug uh, it at the end. Don't worry. Uh, sorry, it's, we're not revealing anything yet. It was a crap joke. Crap guide. Oh. Um, but one of the um, one of the conversations with the development team is how much how much do you tell the player and how much do you let the player find? Do you want them to instantly understand yeah. your game so they can get in the fun straight away, or do you want to let them work things out for themselves and so mm-hmm. they feel like a smarty pants, but they might get <laughs> turned away? You know, it's what they call in the games industry the onboarding process. And it's yes. uh, at what level do you at what level do you onboard? And it's this sounds like a game where it could almost ask the player at the start, "What do you like? Do you like the Souls likes, or do you like the the, the Zelda likes? You know, do you want it to yeah. be more more explorative, or do you want it to be more combat?" Um, the thing but, is, it does do that, but right. I didn't know it did that. It's just in the options menu. <laughs> oh, interesting. Okay. I didn't so know that at all. Your, your problem with the game is actually the problem with your f- failings. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was bashing my head against one of the, uh, I think it was like the fourth boss. Just bashing my head. I'm saying, I cannot beat this. I've got every like upgrade I can, my health's high as it can be, my sword's as strong as it can be, I've got all the magic potions I need. And then I was just bashing my head. And then eventually I realised, and this is rare for me, I took my earpods out because I was listening to a podcast. This boss has got a sound cue. Right. 
Yeah. And I beat it in I'll one go. Teach you. <laughs> I beat it in one go. So it was me. And, and, and after I beat this boss, I went searching a little bit further, uh, uh, earlier, sorry, and I found a, one, a page from this manual and it says, listen to the boss. Listen to when he says, dodge this now. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I was like, this is all my fault. And that's, I just wish it did that right up, up until yeah. the very end. And apparently there was an end game to it. Like when I got the credits, it said, do you want to continue your quest? I was like, ooh. And then the world was slightly different. So I think there's more to it. So I'm looking forward to just going around a bit. If you liked Link's Awakening and stuff on Game Boy and some of the old SNES uh, action Is it, is it action on games. Switch? What's it on? It's on everything. Okay, cool. Yeah, so that's going on my list. That's, I'll grab that on Switch. I think, I think you'll love it if you're coming from that kind of background as well. So the other thing, um, me and Stig kind of jumping on. Um, <laughs> when we met in person last week at the Podcastle, we were very drunk that weekend, and we decided before bed to put on a little show that we'd not heard of called Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared. Oh, you love it. <laughs> oh, this changed me. This changed me. <laughs> this show. I was ready for bed and then we put it on. I think we got like three episodes through or something, didn't we? Two. We, we watched the first two. Um, yeah. And then I was reading up about it and people just said, no, just like from if episode three gets even more crazy and yeah. surreal. And, and I've subsequently so watched the whole episode, the whole series and the old YouTube yeah, so videos. I. And I've been watching random clips just... Oh. Every now these and again guys, as well. These guys are geniuses, absolute geniuses. I mean, Stig, if you want to get into more detail about it, because I'm sure you've done more research than I have. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's originally started out in like 2011 as a web series, and they yep. gradually over uh, one, two, three, about four years just released like these clips. Like They're only about three and a half to six minutes long, and it's it's like a puppet show with... So, so obviously it's kind of like based on Sesame Street style characters. Early morning show, isn't it? Yeah, uh, but it's done in, so there's a mixture of like live action puppetry, traditional animation, flash animation. And a bloke in a suit. Clear animation, computer (laughs) animation. And they they, they, they take those concepts that you get on those kids' shows. So about love, about time and technology and food and dreams and jobs. But it just goes into weird... Family, don't forget family. Oh, it's family. <laughs> Fuck me for the family episode. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's surreal and strange, and I fucking love it. I've just been so sat watching clips of it over and over again, and because, like I said, it starts out normally. It starts out with these three guys. You've got yellow guy, red guy, and duck, and they're just yep. sat around having a chat, and one of them will mention something like, oh, about the computer. And all of a sudden, the computer will come alive and it'll start to tell you about computers and everything. And then it just goes into weird, just places. Well, the first thing that the musical talk about numbers. Stuff, he, goes, he, goes, he goes, I've got one of them. He goes, no, that's the welt. And his, his skin's all melting. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I like the episode of Death where there's like a clone of one of the characters. And oh, just God, the way yeah. it's done is like, almost Evil Dead-esque. Um, I was just about to say, it's like if David Lynch and Sam Raimi teamed up to read yes. the, the Muppet Show. <laughs> yeah. There's and, the guy, and the guy that and did um, Salad Fingers as well. It's that yeah. Kind of- yeah, it's very much like that. It's like really graphic, violent at times, but just so, like at times it feels like it has something to say and it's, yeah. and 
It's hard to explain, isn't it? It is hard to explain, but it's surreal. Uh, and the it's got psychedel- a lot to it. It's psychedelic. Got, like, it's even got like Mighty Boosh elements to it. There's layers like to yeah. it. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. it's just the little jokes. And the three guys seem to be aware that shit's going on around them and constantly yeah. quest- questioning it. But all the other characters that come to life just ignore them and just carry on doing what they're doing uh, <laughs> it's, it's actually been... like like I was, it was just about to say that it's almost like the puppets are quite well acted like they've, yes. they've got some yes, sentience they yeah. some, like they give each other side eye and stuff like that where they're like yeah, they do. and the uh, and the audio work is really good as well where it almost feels like it's it's using those sort of musical tropes of those shows, but then they're in weird negative keys and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. it's just something ever so slightly off. It's very, it's very sophisticatedly made. Oh, and there's always something well is, going off in the background, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What they do with like the music numbers as well is they'll repeat things or they'll just rhyme the same words over and over again because, <laughs> because it's just funny. Because like it's like there's an opening song called "Just the Three of Us" and that. It all starts exactly the same, but every episode has a slight variation slight on it. To it yeah. And so it's like, one of them's like, uh, there's three of us, there's three of us. One of them just goes, I'm the one that's here. And then one of them just goes, I'm the one that's also here. And I'm the one that's also here. It's like, that's it. Like, and it, but it cracks me up. Or one time where it just like, one of them just goes, we're living in a nightmare. Like, yeah. <laughs> you can't look at, like, I, I, I will be sad if I don't mention episode three. Now, oh, family, I, I'm not me. spoiling it too much, but the episode that's based around family is one of the most haunting bits of television <laughs> I've ever watched in my life. This, it's basically, it revolves around these twins that just appear at the window, <laughs> no reason, they just appear, and then they go into this odyssey about um, the nuclear family, and it's just insane. The, the, the grandma... Yeah, the screaming every grandma. so often, and yeah. the dad, and it's just and like <laughs> he's you, the dad. Oh, yeah, he's the dad. It's it's just these little one-liners they throw in, and I can't do it justice. Repeating, just repeating the jokes on this, but honestly, one of the web series one about it's about the world, and yeah. they're like, oh, if only there was something in here to tell us about it, and there's a globe in the room, just yeah. the globe just ignores them. Then the computer comes to life and starts telling them about computers and. The world of cyber, yeah, and the the digital song, they just repeat. It's so good, and it's stuck in my head all week. It's just now. If you if you are if listen, dear listener, if you are going digital to watch style. this, let me just <laughs> let me just <laughs> let you know this is a haunting show. This is oh, it's a not horror. a nice watch. It's it's horror. It's it's frightening in places. It's not for kids. I I just want to let you know. Don't put this on with your kids because it looks like it's for kids. But it's well, not. That, and- that second episode when uh, it's talking about death and the yeah. the duck dies, and then yeah. that little blob ends up forming, then becomes a third person yeah. of the group, <laughs> and then it takes over the look and feel of the duck as well. So then it's like it's the three of us, and then the duck turns returns back Classic. from the dead and then it's like it's the four of us and it's going it's the four of us <laughs> yeah, you get the yeah, whole yeah. song and then at the end the duck just kills the other duck and he goes yeah this isn't going to work out <laughs> <laughs> it's genius it's, it's pure genius and like there's not that much like buzz going around it I know it was decently popular on YouTube and stuff but I'm not seeing many 
much buzz. No, I mean it's only just. I, I wasn't, come I wasn't out. aware it was back. I saw it in 2011. Like it was one of the early virals that we we were sharing with all of our friends. You know. But yeah. I, had, I didn't actually know it was back. You know, well, they, they're all available on Far OD now, so you can just watch them at your leisure. And they're all new. These 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 this series. It's all this year's. Yeah. Have you got anything else to add on your Nexus there, Stig? No, literally that's all I've done this Perfect. week. Perfect. We've done it. <laughs> we've, broke, we've broke through the Nexus. Yeah. It's time to go on to oh, our nothing. main topic. <laughs> Whew. Long, long, long episode. Um, we're going to basically... I'm, in fact, while I write what we've just been talking about down, I'm going to let someone else tell everyone, the listener, what we're doing. Um, in fact, the Scream Queen herself can tell everyone what we're doing. I know Andy. it's going to be me. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, tonight we're doing our horror double feature. So what films, like, completely complement each other? Which films are so opposite it kind of works? Same kind of theme. What would you put on a... It, has to, it doesn't have to be a creature feature. Just a double comedy... Comedy? Double horror. <laughs> Fucked it, didn't I? Double would you like me to continue hosting? Please, please. <laughs> I've had a you glass of wine. You did it. I've had, I've had loads. I'm not stopped drinking. Yes, perfect. you're a functional alcoholic. That's true. <laughs> you did it perfectly, and with grace and decorum. So, um, yeah, just standard roundtable stuff where we're going to bring our double creature feature, but not necessarily a creature feature, together, and we're going to discuss it a little bit. And I want to know from the man who was there when Nosferatu released in cinemas... Oh, Biggie, what are you bringing? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to be talking about Alien and the Thing. So no, you're not. No, you're, no, not. you're not. not allowed. You're not allowed. <laughs> banned. You are banned from okay. bringing those films ever again to this main topic forum. <laughs> so I've gone for a British theme um, for my two double bills, and the first one is, of course, An American Will for London. Woo! Oh, my nice. So, directed by John Landis, and it stars David Norton, Griffin Dunn, Jenny Agutter, and John Woodvine, amongst others. The film's mm. plot, in case you don't know, follows two American backpackers, David and Jack, who are attacked by a werewolf whilst travelling in England, hiking across the moors in Yorkshire, causing David to question whether he'll become a werewolf under the next full moon. The film then follows David, refusing to believe he'll transform into a werewolf, and then David Hirsch, sorry, start again, Dr. Hirsch investigates the moors in the village where the first attack took place at the infamous Slaughtered Lamb pub. After the habit, David create, um, after the habit David creates as a beast, he is devastated and seeks a way to uh, start again. What's wrong with me tonight? He is devastated and seeks <laughs> to turning. find a way out. It's a full moon. I just looked out the window. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, um, a, a curious blend of comedy, spoof, and horror, and mm. uh, undoubtedly features one of the best transformation scenes on celluloid. Unbeaten, the, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Special effects no by Rick Baker. It's gone on to be oh. a classic. It was actually the first film to win an Oscar for best makeup. It deserves it. It's that scene is still harrowing oh. to this day. So, I saw Horrific. this film. Uh, first time I saw this film, I was eight years old, and oh, I, was, wow. I, I was at my. I was at my. Friend I saw it when Aaron. I was young. I was yeah, very young yeah. as well. <laughs> you got to, haven't you? They work best on a child's imagination. I was about 13, um, 14. 
I was at my friend Barry's house and we were watching it and he told me it was a werewolf movie and I think I'd read some werewolf comics and I was like, oh, I'll be up for that. Love and, werewolves. Uh, and then can we go out and play football? And when it got to that transformation... <laughs> Shit, you said. Like, I literally, I was like, oh, I think I hear my mum calling me. I think my lunch is ready. <laughs> and just ran out, of the, oh. ran out of the house and just went home. And I was just like, I was so freaked out at how real I had a very uh, similar issue with that film but it's not that scene it's the scene when David's mate returns to him oh, as a zombie in the mirror shows up. Yeah. Mm. Oh, oh I was like I'm out <laughs> starts eating his toast yeah that is yeah. Mm. Oh, it's, it's one, of my, one of my favourites of all time oh as an Whether... adult I, I think it's it's, it's it's up there with the greats yeah absolutely it also features a great scene in the porno theatre where Jack and David's previous does. victims all advise him on the most effective way to commit suicide <laughs> The um, studio apparently wanted Aykroyd and Belushi to star as David and Jack. But I think that Landis, would have been weird. I think so. Landis had previous success with the uh, comedians, but Landis wanted to go yeah. with unknowns. The uh, Griffin soundtrack. Dunn, Griffin Dunn is one of the most underrated actors in America. Oh, he's superb. Oh, so good. So brilliant. So, yeah. so good. And the film is perfectly complemented by the soundtrack, which is carefully picked yeah. out as each track relates to the moon, whether it's Bobby Vinton's Blue Moon. Van Morrison's Moon Dance during the whoo, sex scene and Bad Moon Rising. It's a sex scene. And Sam, Co- Sam Cooke's uh, Blue Moon as well during the transformation and the do what version at the end of the movie. Um, yeah, it's just fantastic. I've it's seen this film classic. so many times. And if you haven't seen it, you're doing yourself a massive disservice. You must watch and this what- movie. Would complement that film in your double feature, there, Biggie. Or oh, before you quickly go, one one very quick anecdote is that mm-hmm. when John Landis wrote the script, he was stationed in London before going off to the Korean War or something like that uh, wow. in service, and he was fascinated by all the theatres around Soho, but they were all showing Disney cartoons. So in the original <laughs> script, it wasn't a porn theatre, it was a Mickey Mouse cartoon. And then when he went, <laughs> when he went away to, work, uh, to war and then he came back, they'd all changed into porno theatres and he was just like, oh, I, I, guess it's, I guess it's a porn scene now and not a Mickey Mouse film. <laughs> oh, that would have been badass. Go on, we'll uh, yeah, comment that. So the following up is uh, a, a different type, but um, I really like this when this came out. It's Eden Lick, and it's uh, oh, 2008. I've not, British, I've not seen this. It's a British cool, horror thriller film, uh, written directed by James Watkins, and stars Kelly Riley, Michael Fassbender, and Jack O'Connell, amongst others. The Fassbender. So it stars the couple, Kelly and Michael, um, refusing to let anything spoil their romantic weekend breakaway. The young couple confront a gang of lutish youths with terrifyingly brutal consequences. Um, if you've ever been intimidated or disturbed by the younger generation, then this film will not only agree with you, but will ramp that fear right up. Does it hit home, it's, mate? The, uh, O'Connell, as the gang leader, absolutely steals the film. He is a nasty piece of work. And you, you already know that the getaway is not going to go well and that they're going to have some absolute beef with these young kids. But from the beat scene onwards, the uneasy feeling just doesn't go away. Violence and torture soon follow. And Riley is fantastic as the heroine. But for those unfortunately looking for a happy ending to this movie will be bitterly disappointed because it does not. No spoilers. Well. Nope. <laughs> it doesn't, you, you don't see the end coming though, even though he's just not at given all. the direction. Oh, right. It really pulls the rug out from under you in a very clear yeah. way. I like it when they do that. And, and um, I just think it's, it's perfect for this sort of, 
time that we live in where, you know, back in the day, you'd probably have a go at somebody if they were being a dick. But these days... Is there any link between anyone. having this as a double feature or do you just really adore both films? Uh, because they're both British films. They're both fantastic horror Good in link. their own right. And I, I just think what, this is fantastic. I think they work, they work well as a double bill because... Um, uh, they're they, outside? Well, yeah, there is that. There's a lot of woods, woods and moors, but um, they're tonally very different. But they both bring the horror because there's not a lot of humour in Eden Lake at all. And that yeah. maybe do Eden Lake first, and then when you're on a downer, you can finish it off with American bring Wealth and bring mm-hmm. it up again. And they do work really well as a double bill. And O'Connell is such a breakout performance in it. He's, he's fantastic he is, in this. He's really terrifying, but he's also got a strange kind of charm to him where you can't yeah, take your yeah, eyes yeah. off of him, you know? Because yeah, yeah. he's got this sort of gang of sycophants who hang around with him and really look up to him. And you can totally see in that town that they're in that they would do that. He's so obviously the alpha, you know? Yeah. Um, Mm. They're, they're scared of him. His friends are scared of him, yet they hang around yeah. with him. You know, it's, it's available on streaming services. I might give that absolutely. A it's Cerebral. a real corker. It's a real sleeper. Mm. Excellent. Good pull, mate. Good pull. Um, let's move on to. I'll go next. I'll go next. Fuck it. So I've got a bit of a tenuous link on mine. So when it comes to like double features, I like a theme or a reason to watch them back to back. I'm also a fan of a, a tenuous link. And with the double feature I'm wanting to bring tonight, I've gone with the subverting expectations and meta commentary feature in in a genre, basically. Also, teenagers shagging and getting murdered. There it is. There it is. (laughs) There it is. There it is. Um, The first film we'll watch in tonight, get your popcorn ready, Um, Scream, 1996. Wes Craven classic, starring Mm -hmm. Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, Skeet Ulrich. Where did he go? Uh, Matthew Lillard <laughs> and Jamie Kennedy. Where did he go? Drugs. Um, drugs. They all went to drugs. Actually, I, th- I think Jamie Kennedy became like a fucking right winger. Yeah, he, he did. Prob- right. He probably always was. That's the thing. It's I not think became we've one. About this before on here as well. <laughs> mm. But yeah, um, most of these actors were absolutely in their primes at this point in the careers. And the first reason I picked this film is the initial subverting of expectations. So you may notice the elephant in the room. I missed. Uh, the actor that was on the box art, posters and marketing, Drew Barrymore. The reason being, she's killed in the first five minutes Oof, of the film. Spoiler alert for a film from 1996. <laughs> <But> yeah, <laughs> um, everyone's seen Scream. Um, which, which, uh, it, it, basically, the first five minutes of the film, it's a very stereotypical slasher premise. And for my money, and people might disagree with me, I think it's one of the best openings to any horror film ever made. I think it's pure. It's if the film wanted to be that, it could have been that quite easily. But then the movie's flipped on its head, and it becomes like a, a fantastical homage and pastiche to slasher films prior to this film. It's like he, I don't like him, but Jamie Kennedy's character—he's kind of the audience in this. He's saying, "I know what's going to happen next. I know what's going to happen," next. and he's right. He's completely right. Everything he says is completely right. And when you first watch it. I didn't know who the killer was going to be. I'm not going to spoil all that in case you haven't watched it, but everyone knows... um, He's not going to, is he? (laughs) No, 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 he's not. (laughs) Um, And the ghost face, it's called ghost face, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and that's such an iconic image now because the Scream became a franchise and I'm not really a big fan of the franchise as a whole. I just like this film. I think the others are a bit shit. 
but it's typical uh, of Wes Craven, really, isn't it? They just get worse as it goes along. <laughs> I don't think he did. I don't think he directed them all, anyway, did he? Uh, I think he did the first three. Um, I did don't know Yeah, I think so. Um, I, uh, yeah, it's an absolute classic, isn't it? I've probably watched it a dozen times. And it's people so, forget how good it is. Yeah, mm. it's funny. It's scary. It's genuinely scary. From oh yeah. Um, yeah, when when he first says that on the phone, when she's like, "What do you want?" And he's like, "I want to see what your insides look like." You're like, "Yeah, what the? Okay, here we go. We're going into this kind of territory." Yeah, it's, I it remember. Bring, it brings. I remember when um, I do. Yeah, when, when when I first uh, I got my first babysitting gig um, for a, a young lad that lived top of my street, and the phone rung, <laughs> and I was like, "I'm not answering that. I'm not answering that." Phone. <laughs> and it still affects me to that. To, to this day, I'm like, oh, God, I wonder who it could have been. It's probably just nobody. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's just the parents checking in. That it was yeah. Okay and you just, you just get my phone Unfortunately for Scream, I think Scary Movie probably just took away some of the scariness from Ghostface because after you've watched Scary now, Movie. Now, I can say, I can say <laughs> this with, with all honesty now. I don't like Scary Movie, and I never have. Then I, 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 I just yeah. I think it's poor. It's... And I, 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 like, I like a spoof, but this is just, it's not a good one. But people think that that is Scream, don't they? I've known they people confused, going, oh, yeah. remember in Scream when he's smoking that bong? I'm like, he didn't do that in Scream. There's no, <laughs> <laughs> he's definitely not getting high on, on, on that. But yeah, I, I've, I've basically paired this film with something that you won't think is linked at first. But if you've not seen it, now I will have to get spoilerish with this to get my link across, my tenuous link. The next film in my double feature is The Cabin in the Woods. Um, 2011, directed by Drew Goddard, starring Thor Odinson, Kristen Connolly, Anna Hutchinson, Fran Kranz, and Jess Williams. Now, it's not really Thor, it's uh, Chris Hemsworth, but before he was Thor, or was it during he was, he was Thor in 2011? Of course he was. It was around the same time. Yeah, and guest starring the excellent character actor duo of Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford. They're fucking sensational in this film. And a late, late cameo by one of the classics, Sigourney Weaver. Now, it's linked to Scream of how it was marketed. So this film like Scream was marketed as a teen slasher set in a cabin in the woods. We've all seen those films before. Now, spoiler alert, this film is 40 minutes of that, but nobody actually dies in the first 40 minutes. Uh, what happens instead is the film flips its on its head and becomes a dark comedy, Lovecraftian horror, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here style meta commentary <laughs> film. It's If you've not seen this film, th- th- this is one of the best twists in my opinion because I didn't know this twist coming into this film. Mm. I don't know if you've seen it afterwards after people saying, watch Cabin in the Woods, it's not what you think. It's just... Uh, this, uh, there's something quite special about it this because it's it's brave in a way because it kills off main characters and it it just goes places that you don't expect now have you all seen it yeah, yeah. i have nope yeah, yeah no so gadget oh, okay, i mean i'm not going to watch it it's fine you're not going to watch it so no, it's not really like watching good films yeah he doesn't it's not really like <laughs> scary basically these the two were uh, uh, Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford work for this mega company that have to keep an eldritch horror alive every year by sacrificing teenagers. <laughs> and every country in the world has this version, this like game show set up for this eldritch horror. And America, for some reason, is the one, the only one that's... The other countries have failed or something like that. 
these these scenarios that they put these teenagers in, the, all the other countries have failed. Like there's there's there's, there's um like bits where it shows you the other countries like in Japan it's the ring that's type my favorite thing. bit i love that it was yeah. the ring because <laughs> and and in uh, one of the, one of them it's like hostile type thing in europe and stuff like that and american horror is all about the slasher isn't it and things like that so these kids go into this cabin in the woods and in the background of this film you can see the people that work for this company i've got a pool saying Who's, who are they going to summon? Who are they going to summon in this cabin? Like, have we got this? Oh, we've got zombies. Oh, we've got this. And it's just fucking fascinating. And they summon whatever they summon. And it just goes worse and worse from there. And did you ever play Outlast, Gadget? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I played Outlast. Do you remember the ending of Outlast where it, you're not actually in an asylum? Yeah, it gets a bit science fictiony. Think that. That's what this Fair film enough. does. Fair enough. You, they go underneath and find out everything. And... There's so many horror cameos in this. We've got Cenobites in it. We've got aliens. We've got all the creatures from Left 4 Dead games in it. We've got fucking hell. We've got tarantula, monster tarantulas. We've got fucking I'm definitely out of mass, massive snake monsters. We've got fucking Guillermo del Toro style fairy pixie monsters and zombies. It's just, I think this film's sensational. Now, it is attached to someone we don't really name anymore because he's a knob. Um, but it's just, I don't know. I think it's such a special film. Do you guys like it? Yeah. yeah I love I, it. I liked it a lot. I liked yeah. it a lot. I, I watched these two films back to back, not last night, the night before. And in that order, if you go Scream and then Cabin in the Woods, the meta commentary just, just continues to get higher and higher and higher and higher. And then to the point where it's like, fuck it, what is, what is reality anymore? And it's just, I think it's a perfect little double feature. None of them, I mean, Scream's pretty scary, but Cabin in the Woods isn't that scary. It's still a horror film. But I, I just think they work really well in, in tandem together. So. Yeah, they've got, they've, got that sort of, they've got that sort of knowing what they are, knowing the genre, respecting the audience's understanding of the tropes yeah. and then playing with those tropes and stuff. So it's a really good double bill. I like when movies, I like the, when movies, you think you know where, you're go, where they're going and yeah. then they flip. They flip it on you, but that that informs where they, you've got to. It isn't just like oh, bang, and now it's a road movie. It's just like yeah, oh, you know, you thought this was an, a knowing nod at the genre, but it is. But it is that for this reason because it's this Eldrian horror. It's it's very good. It's really really cool. Screams my preference of the two. But, um, I've oh yeah, mine too. In the woods once, but but I, I saw it at the cinema and I thought it was a great time. Great time in the cinema. The the smart thing with Cabin in the Woods. Well, I will watch because I've not watched it for years. Oh, I'm going. Why are these? Because it does subvert because none of these kids are dumb kids. They're all like uh, alumni of like one of them's going to become a doctor. One of them's going to become a scientist. You know what I mean? They're all clever. And you think, why are they doing these stupid things when they're at the cabin that, that teenagers doing these things? But it turns out they're all drugged. You know what I mean? While they're there, they're all loosened. Like they're, they're, that's what the, the, the hormones are spread out. That's why they end up having sex when they shouldn't be having sex. And that kind of, it's just so clever. And it's got like, Archetypes like the Harbinger of Doom when they pull up at the gas station for, for directions and there's a creepy old man saying, don't go down that road. And then as soon as the kids drive off, he's ringing to the company saying, did I do that well? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because he's just an actor. <laughs> it's just so fucking good. And them two together, he makes like a little, a fucking fantastic double bill. So they're mine. 
I want to know, Tui, what you brought, because I reckon with your do depth. You, oh, so I'm going to twist it and I'm going to flip it. So do you mind if I go last and I'll explain why I wanted to go last? Mate, and how I absolutely. Okay. Thank you very he's directing, much. He's directing the show now. <laughs> what, <laughs> narcissist. what an expert. <laughs> narcissist in me, sorry. You, you'll understand no, why when we get to money. That's fine. Stig. So I have gone for a classic creature feature, Double Bill. Yep. Uh, and I've gone for two films from probably what I consider the best decade of horror for me. 80s. Yep. Um, and I have... It's the 70s, but carry on. No, do you know why... Do you know <laughs> no, why I'm joking, I, I'm joking, I'm joking. Do you joking. know why I like the 80s? Because of it was a time of when clearly the, 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 the effects budget went up for people and they started to be able yep. to do all these, like, you know... The gross things the gross things yeah and they, they both of these films have those in and uh it's the howling and fright night oh yes. yes and the reason i chose these is again because they both have the uh, you've got the classic kind of universal monsters one is a werewolf the other the other feature is uh, a vampire and they both they're both pure 80s and the howling for me as well is I know we've obviously talked about the American Werewolf in London, but the howling has some amazing transformation sequences mm. in it. Um, it does. So the the howling is about a um, after a, a kind of near death encounter, a television newswoman sent to this remote mountain resort, and the residents may not be who they seem to be, mm-hmm. and it just gradually, slowly. Um, things start to turn from being quite normal and then you see kind of one werewolf and you know we're going to kind of spoil in these films but eventually it's, it's kind of a covenant of werewolves up in this um retreat and they just i just love the way it looks uh, it takes a long time for it to kind of get going it, yeah. I think it's about 40, 45 minutes before you even see any sneak of a transformation or a werewolf. You kind of get a little bit of a hint at it at the start, but it's all in the shadows. Yeah. Um, but it's not until like, uh, you know, later on in the film where you, you get one kind of sex scene where they turn into werewolves and then bit by bit you start seeing all the other people start turning into them. But the, the one that springs to mind is the main one inside like an office where he's Body's like bubbling, and his forehead's so just kind of yeah. going all crazy, and just like American Werewolf, like the the fingers and the legs start to become elongated, and the nose like starts to come out. Like, and I think they look really good, like for the time. I think the werewolves actually mm-hmm. look really effective. Um, what's like you, what's really nice about that transformation is they obviously didn't have the so interesting. Interestingly, they, they wanted Rick Baker. And he had That's to right. choose between that or American Werewolf, and they nearly had him at one point because they don't quite have the budget. They light it in a shadowy; you can see the bubbling and stuff, but he's also sort of half hidden in the light, and it gives this mm. really, really creepy edge to it. It's fantastic. Yeah, Amazing. and it would be so easy to kind of, you know, have him fall behind a desk and then pop up as a werewolf, like they used to do. Like that would be terrible. Mm. Yeah, one hand coming on, going, "I'm a werewolf now." Yeah. <laughs> But I just, I, it's that, um, it's similar like to Demons, you know, where it, you sit there and you watch yeah. and you actually see the, the teeth come out and it pushes out the regular teeth and you see, the, fi- you see the fingernails all kind of pop out and the fingers elongate and the, the, the body start to snap into place. And, and I just think that combined with something like Fright Night, which also has its fair share of these 
amazing prosthetics and images. Uh, Fright Night is a 1985 film by Tom Holland. It's about a teenager who discovers that his new neighbour may or may not be a vampire. And who knows? It's kind of him trying to... I mean, it's obvious he is a vampire, but the whole story is obviously him trying to prove it, and he brings in this like television horror host to try and take him down and stuff, but... It's so good. I only watched Fright Night for the first time last year on basically on Craig's recommendation. I, really? I, I loved it, man. Fright Night, it was mm. so good. Don't I've watch seen, the remake. I don't I've like seen the remake. remake. I didn't mind it, but when I watched... So I was watching some scenes. I didn't get to watch Fright Night this week, so but I was watching some scenes on YouTube, and then I was comparing it to the new one. And just like the death of the vampire, it's just... Yeah. It's so gruesome and and he's melting away and there's just goo and ooze and stuff and then in the new one they just kind of have him blow up in CGI <laughs> and it just it's just not the same. Do you know no, what I mean? The, pra- the, the practical effects in Fright Night are so tactile and so there there's got that great jump scare where she sort of pops up in the camera and she's got this massive mouth, hasn't yeah, she? It's yeah, like, yeah. Uh, it's just so freaky. Yeah, I love, I'm so glad you watched it because it's so, and the characters are just really funny. Vincent, what's his name? Mike, uh, what's his Peter name? Vincent. Peter, Peter Vincent. Peter Vincent. He, he's yeah. so, he's so scared and he's the expert and he's the most scared one. The kid is I was, so much braver. I remember when I was younger, I was a big Goonies fan and my mates were like, watch Fright Night, it's like Goonies. Mm, no, <laughs> I think they may have meant. I think they may have meant Monster House when they said that. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, I still, I still adore it, and I don't. I really disliked the remake. I just thought it lost all its soul in yeah. that remake. Yeah, a, lo- a lot of them do though. Like that's what's lovely about these like eighties films. Yeah. I just like I was originally going to choose um, this film and Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three, and I did actually yeah. rewatch that one. And it's not good, watching, is it? No, just thinking. <laughs> Nostalgia's really pulled me through this film, despite the fact that there are a lot of real, real great prosthetic hey, works bitch. on that. I just think it kind of loses its way halfway through, whereas like Fright Night is just, just tops throughout the whole thing. And yeah, like, is, Evil, Evil Ed is just this horrible little kid who gets turned, and his transformation into the wolf and back, and like it's, it, it for me these films are completely. Pulled through by just the prosthetic work and and all that. Do you know what works? We we are double feature. You could watch them either in order. Yeah, Yeah. doesn't matter. You're gonna love them. Yeah, it's it's just like man, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna go back through and start watching a lot of the '80s horrors with that kind of stuff. Uh, Do you know what I watched last night? House. Remember House. Oh, I love House. House House one, two, three, a banging trilogy. House three is really good. Proper creature features, them ones. If you never watch them, Stig, get them. Yeah, I want to watch them, and there's a few others. I mean, like I've said this before, but Craig put me onto demons, which you know, demons is so fucked up. Like it's oh, they're it. not. We, we know, like they're not great films, are they? But it's the every they are so much fun, and again, the the transformation into the demons is just incredible. Like <laughs> it's weird and awful as well. Just fingernails popping out of and stuff, yeah. and oh, but yeah, the Howling and Fright Night just work perfectly as a those classic yes. classic monster features as well as being like pure 80s horrors that i love yeah yeah excellent excellent choice gadget as a man not a fan of horror no don't don't like horror films they horror games but not really one for horror yeah, films that's the weird thing about you you like being in charge with horror yeah, and I, not I, being I'll, the passenger well, yeah i don't really like like horror novels either or like horror fiction it's like no you like you like 
post-apocalyptic novels. Yeah. But like when it comes to horror, I like to be involved in it. I don't like to be a passive yeah. audience in it. Because you don't make those stupid mistakes. Well, yeah, exactly. Plus, you know, sci-fi horror anyway, when it comes to video games. Give me more Dead Space. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, please. But I racked my brain first and I found two. And, and they are, as you like oodles, tenuously linked. Perfect. And the tenuous link is low budget in a single location in the woods. Love it. Because we all love that one. The first one I'm going to talk about is actually, weirdly enough, the, the lower of the two budgets. Mm-hmm. But the more modern film, 2002's Dog Soldiers. Ooh, oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I watched I this this, to, this to year thing. because you mentioned it earlier in the year. I've never seen it before. It's a great film. I haven't spoke about this. It's fucking brilliant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's got Pertwee in it. Pertwee's yeah. in it. Yeah, that's solid Pertwee action and Liam Cunningham. Yeah, Cunningham's in it. Yeah. Fucking hell. So, yeah. It's good. So it was a 2002 uh, action horror film. Um, it was written by, written, directed and edited by Neil Marshall. The man was busy for this one. And it was his yeah. first film as well. Uh, one of those, I think it's, I think it's a Pathé film or something like that. It's one of these kind of low, bro- yeah. Distrib- I think it's film four. No, it's di- distributed by Pathé. Oh, is it? Yeah, low, low, low budget British films. Lowest of the low. Yeah, <laughs> basically involves a group of SAS guys being hunted by a werewolf, being stuck in a house, and them slowly all turning. And it's a great looking werewolf. It, it's a great, great looking werewolf. It's a rubber suit, but it's a great looking yes. werewolf. It's not American werewolf. Stilts. It, it's not American werewolf in London levels of quality. Spoilers! No. Spoilers! They're all rubber suits. There's no. Um, there's no real werewolves. No, but ra- rather it's no, <laughs> no, C- no CGI. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I thought, yeah, they'd, I I thought they'd caught a real werewolf. <laughs> Just we can only shoot on full moon, lads. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, it's a tight, it's a tight, it's a tight shoot. Well, this. Come on. I mean, bear, bear in mind the film only had a budget of two million pound. That is that is mental. Because the that costume film. design alone looks brilliant. Yeah, the costume design's great. Um, and so, the setting. Yeah, so so yeah, the whole story is um, a group of SAS soldiers are on a training mission up in Scotland. Um, mm. They happen across the very brutalized and very disembowelled leader of um, one of the other squads, um, who starts to tell them that they're being hunted by something. When the thing the hunting them I think starts the other to hunt squad them. is. A more elite special force as well, which is they're like, how? What's killed them? If they can kill them, we're fucked. Yeah. So it it basically ends up with what one, two, three, six of them stuck in a very small house in the Scottish Highlands, uh, with one, maybe two, maybe three werewolves hunting them, and they have to get out. Fucking brilliant! It's for a horror film. One, it's very funny in places. Mm. Um, It is. Credit out there to the Geordie Spoonie. Because yeah, there is a Geordie, yeah. <laughs> and just the, the one overriding line when the werewolf is bearing down on him and it's got his teeth going, I hope I give you the shits. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the greatest line in any horror film. I'm not hearing anything else about it. Um, hmm. but it's funny, it's charming. Sean Pertwee's brilliant in it, Liam Cunningham is brilliant in it. Um, mm. the special effects are good, the gore is suitably over the top. There's one point where I think one of the werewolves... The blood really does splat out, doesn't well, it? Well, the, the, there's one point where I think one of them's been killed in the back of a Land Rover and they open the back door and it's just like it's like red <laughs> jelly comes pouring out of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's over the top and mental, and but it's a proper kind of, you know, get to the morning kind of... Um, Isn't it all shot at night as well? It's, yeah, it's all shot at night. Um, yeah. yeah, I just, I really like the film and it, it, it's one I don't really, I guess I don't really count it as a horror film. I feel it's more of an action film, but it's got some good tension in it. And it's, 
inimitably charming. And again, it's one of those low-budget Pathé films that are just always worth watching because there's always a little element of quality there. Um, so the, the, the other film that, that I would have with this one is it inextricably linked, single location, in the forest, at night, single house, it's Evil Dead 2. Yes. <laughs> at least you picked two, which is, the, in my opinion... The first Evil Dead film. There's nothing. I mean, they're kind of the first, same. The first one. No, no. <laughs> if you're going to say the first the one's bad, each leave. Yeah, the first. No, yeah. I'm not. I think it's. No, I think the second one is the best one. The second yeah, one. Is, I, the second one is superior. Yeah. The, 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 the first one is good for what it did, but it's. I feel like the second one's nasty. a remake of the first one. It is. It is. Literally. It is. <laughs> it absolutely. Is. The first one. The first. So the first Evil Dead is the movie that got made me want to be a movie maker. I saw that when I, I, you know, I saw that when I was nine years old, and I was like, "That's what I want to do for my life." I met Ted Ramey in Cannes earlier this year. It's <gasps> my fa- Facebook profile picture because I never found <laughs> out about celebrities, but I was like, "That's Ted motherfucking Ramey," and um, I was just like, "I have to have a picture with you." That's um, Henrietta. Um, I, um, I, I think I think I watched them too late to really appreciate the first one. I, I was not young. I, mean, I, I, no, I, no, I think it'd been more effective. I saw Evil Dead it's Two. So hokey. I saw Evil Dead Two when I was a teenager, and I didn't see Evil the first Evil Dead until I was in my twenties. And oh, really? Evil Dead Two for me is the better film, but Evil. I mean, three. Let's. <laughs> but yeah, e- e- Evil Dead One is still brilliant, especially for the kind of things mm. it did. Like, there's, the, a, the, there's yeah. a lot of stuff that there was the DVD version of Evil Dead Two I had had like a making of thing on it, and it had a lot of the making of the first film. And yeah. like talking about how they did the sound and the foley, and the one that always um, uh, uh, jumps out to me is the sound from the first film of when he gets stabbed in the ankle. Yeah, and I was how, the, mention how that they scene. made that, and it's a pencil. I hate that scene. Pencil and an apple. That's how they made that sound. Oh. <laughs> that creaking crack. That's isn't, one of the most. The, the, f- the first one a bit more serious, whereas the second one had yes. all the humor. The, the first, well. the first one is scarier. I'm going to go out on a limb now and say something very bold. Hopefully, so that your uh, listeners will write in. But I would say that the evil, this first Evil Dead, has the single greatest scare in cinema history, apart from maybe the end of the ring when she comes out of the TV. Mm. And that Which is, bit? She's doing the card game and she's saying she's pretending to guess the card. She's trying to guess the cards. Yep. And the other person's going, yeah, you're right, you're right. And she's not getting them right. She's not getting them right. And then suddenly she's, something comes over her and she yep. starts getting them right. And she's like, oh, this is weird. And then she keeps getting them right. Yeah. And then there's this like reverse violin string uh, on like, yeah. across the soundtrack. As, and it all goes into slow motion, but they didn't have the technology to shoot it in slow motion. So it's that shuddery. 24 frames that's been sped up to 40 or slowed down to 48 and it gives us a shuddery feel and she gets faster and faster and she's guessing them before the other person's even revealing them. Two of spades, nine of diamonds, jack of clubs and it gets evil early and then she just flies into the sky and she's a zombie woman and it is, it is, it's um, a great I've, I've never seen a better scare that's not a jump scare, it's a character based moment that's um, oh, terrifying. That th- th- is the twist because it's the first time we see what these the dead is and stuff. And it's the cheapest movie and it's acted bad and it's yeah. shot on eight millimeter film and they didn't know how to make a film. But because he didn't know how to make a film, he did things that you're not actually supposed to do. Like a, a real filmmaker wouldn't shoot a slow down eight millimeter film because it doesn't hold up on the screen; it breaks down. But that makes it look like no other film. And no one would do a reverse violin string because that's not what a violin's supposed to stand. And it's just. It's the single greatest scare in cinema history for me, but I did see it when I was eight years old. Yeah. Well, so <laughs> Dead Eyes look incredible anyway. Yeah. So Evil, yeah. Evil Dead 2, for those who haven't seen it, 
Um, it is one of the, the the classic 80s films. It is a remake of the original video Nasty film that was Evil Dead. Um, yep. This one, uh, as um, Craig was saying, the, the first one's kind of not really a very well-made film. There's a lot, It does excellent things, but it's a pretty poorly put-together film, whereas the Evil Dead 2 is a remake of it. It's a competently made film because Sam Raimi, the director, had a lot more experience making a film by that point. Um, it stars Bruce Campbell as Ash, um, the man with the greatest chin in cinema. Um, <laughs> One of. Yep. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's really chinny. Yeah, and it is. It, it, it basically starts off, like all bad horror films would start off with, Ash and his girlfriend Linda take a romantic vacation to an abandoned cabin in the woods because what sells romance more than a fucking dusty abandoned cabin in the middle of the North Carolina woods? Nothing. Nothing, really. Nothing. Nothing. While they're, while they're there, um, Ash plays a tape of the archaeologist Raymond Nolby, the cabin's previous inhabitant, mm. reciting passages from the Book of the Dead, the Necronomicon ex Don't say it. Don't say it. It'll <laughs> fucking turn up. It will turn up. <laughs> and, yeah, shit kicks off then. Um, Linda gets turned into a zombie, uh, forcing Ash to kill her, like decapitate her and bury her. Um, he tries to so tries to leave the next morning. The only bridge out of the area is completely destroyed because reasons. And he comes back. It becomes nighttime again. Um, Linda's head reanimates itself, bites him in the hand. His hand gets infected. His hand tries to kill him. He chops his hand off with a chainsaw. And yeah, it just chaos unfolds from there. It just there. gets groovier and groovier from there. Yeah, it's one. It's one of the most. Me- it's one of the most memed horror films of all time because it is effectively a. Co- it's not really a comedy horror film, but it's incredibly funny. Um, yeah, it's a black comedy, isn't it's, it? It's very slapstick, and it's almost like a cut, like especially the way um, the action is shot because uh, there's a lot of kind of sped up sequences where like characters are moving faster than they should be, or um, uh, Bruce Campbell's giving you kind of very cartoony facial expressions, like almost like Jim Carrey style yeah. expressions there's as that, he's moving um, around. There's that famous Roger Ebert uh, review of it saying that uh, Bruce Campbell is the Charlie Chaplin of horror. Yeah. And Which makes so much fucking sense when you watch that film. Yeah, and it 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 goes. It just gets insane. It just gets weirder and weirder as it goes on. the The horror is reasonably gruesome. There's a lot of blood to the film. Um, I love I love the scene where um, where Ash is Ash is cutting his cutting his hand off because it's trying to kill him. And you've got that kind of shot. The camera goes in close to him, and the blood spraying up in his face, and he's laughing like a maniac. <laughs> it's yeah. it's so fucking creepy because like for quite a lot of the film you assume Ash is going to turn into a deadite and I think there is yep. one moment mm. where he does and, yeah. he, and then he gets pulled back it's doppelganger isn't it yeah and mm. and then of course the film ends with the setup to Army of Darkness which a is cliffhanger which is one of the strangest things ends. where to get to get rid of <laughs> the the deadites a portal is opened and Ash and his Oldsmobile are thrown back to the medieval ages where Ash is seen as the prophet to save them from the deadites I really dislike Army of Darkness. Why? Army of Darkness is great. It's camp fun. It's great. It's not horror, but it's camp as fuck. I'm with with you. As as Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 are two of my favourite films. And, Mm. you know, I was like, oh, this is going to be one of the greatest trilogies of all time. And the third one has moments. It has some nice sequences, but it's so campy. It's so. Too much. It's it's way too much. that's That's why it's not marketed as Evil Dead 3. Yeah, market yeah. is as Army of Darkness. It's 
Yeah, yeah but I bet when they were filming thing. it, it was supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, the studio probably made the decision because it doesn't quite hit the... But, but Evil Dead 2 is just brilliant. And again, it's really funny and it's really fast moving. But then when it has its moments, like when he goes down into the cellar, it's genuinely scary. Mm. Yeah. 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 It's, 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 the problem, it's, the problem that, with it's it... That, it's that, it's that, that right. reveal when, um, when, when the other people turn up the house, they're playing the tape and... You know, you get you get the recording where where the archaeologist says, "Oh, I read from the Necronomicon. My wife turned into this monster. I killed her and put her in the in the cellar." And Ash is like in the cellar, listening through the floorboards. Yeah, and he yeah, kind of, she's there. and the camera just kind of pans back, and there's Henrietta coming for she's, him. Yeah. yeah, someone's in my fruit cellar. Yeah, it's, <laughs> the problem it's, it's I've like, got it's a mix. We've... It's a mixture of really well placed horror, but also really yeah. fucking funny. It is, but the, the sound, problem I've the got with it fantastic. sounds great. The sound is good. The problem I've got with it is now because of how Army of Darkness exists and ended. Now Ash versus the Evil Dead, he's that he's that Ash, isn't he? He's he's more campy, daft, and I don't, I don't like where where they took that character. If you get me, I mean, I mean, to, I prefer... I mean to be fair, Ash was pretty campy and daft in the first two films. Oh yeah, I know, but not as not as groovy as he was in Army of Darkness, <laughs> and. That's what if you have you watched uh, Ash vs. the Evil Dead? Any of that? No, I've not seen it. Yeah, yeah. It is, it, you're right. It's Ash on steroids, where they yeah, it feels, he's it super feels daft. Like the executives and the writers are like, oh, what does everybody everybody remember and like about Ash? Let's give him yeah. all all that all the time. But drunker, he's more yeah, drunk. Yeah, 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 yeah. Excellent choices there, Gadget. Into it, Cabin in the Woods types type films. Love it, love it, love it. Candy, you are a goth. I am a goth, <laughs> but I haven't gone for a particularly gothy pair of films i'm gonna both oh. talk about them both at the same time and i'm gonna go with midsummer and the wicker man they're not gothic brilliant um so i've chosen the wicker man which was released in 1973 not the nicholas oh. cage abomination not the bees. The not bees. The bees. oh my legs it's my legs um and also you don't see that scene the version i saw of it you didn't see his bees or legs get broken but anyway um i digress um and ari aster's midsummer uh 2019 both set in their um present days um so he's, this... he's, he's big his favorite isn't he ari aster you love him don't you yeah fantastic man mm. Mm. um I'm, I'm not i'm not too sure if i'm a massive fan of his other films but anyway um so yeah, there's there's almost a forty year gap between release dates, um, but they both obviously hold similar similar themes, which yes. complement each other pretty perfectly, I would say. And uh, both of them feature an outsider coming into a cult like community that's isolated from wider society. Basically, both feature sacrifices. Both films end in a big burning, fiery fireball. Like when um, we went to Peterborough. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's exactly how we left it. Um, so in The Wicker Man, devoutly Christian police sergeant Howie tri- travels to Summer Isle after receiving a call to investigate a missing girl on the island. And in Midsummer, Danny, who's grieving the loss of her family in a murder-suicide, is kind of begrudgingly asked by a boyfriend to accompany her to this uh, pagan commune in Sweden along with his friends. Um, and I, what I love in both of them is that neither... Oh, and I've spoken about this on Discord as well today, actually. Um, neither of them rely on what I would call like cheap scares. Like it's way too easy for directors to rely on just dark shots and jump scares to make you think the film's scary when in reality, you know, a, a sudden loud noise in a dark cinema does nothing to genuinely unsettle you. And, and both of these films take place predominantly in the daylight. In fact, Midsummer in particular makes a point of it being 
um, sort of high summer in Sweden where the sun doesn't even really set. Yet the tone in both films remains kind of ominous enough to keep you on edge. Um, in both the films, symbolic imagery is kind of scattered throughout, um, giving a little bit of foreshadowing to certain fates, like Midsummer shows us runic symbols throughout. It's painted on walls. It's shown from a bird's eye view in terms of how the tables are set out. Um, and at one point, it, it literally shows us the fate of one of the characters, and I won't spoil anything, but it does involve a sprinkling of pubic hair. Here's a... Um, uh, I'm going to reveal something. I've never watched Midsummer. And I know everyone it's says really it's brilliant, and I've never watched yeah. it. I just, I've just never got around to it. It is very good. Um, mm. So, uh, Wicker Man as well. Paganistic Sing sun that. flags are used, <laughs> are used throughout the backdrop of the Wicker Man Summer Isle. Um, at one scene as well, it has the Christian sergeant questioning why uh, the symbolic, uh, the symbol of the phallus, is being explained during a school class. And ultimately, like both films are about ritualistic sacrifice, and I can't really get into the finer points of it without spoiling it. Um, although I suspect probably most people by now know what happens in The Wicker Man or at the end it's of The Wicker Man. Kind of, it's kind of spoiled on the DVD cover. I was going to say cover. it's, it's on one, the of the most, yeah. one of the most iconic images in cinema as well. And like you said, it's on the cover. You kind of all know the, what's going to go. All the uh, Iron Maiden. Uh, Wicker Man song uh, video it spoils the whole film in that as well yeah. <laughs> exactly. which is weird because the song has with, nothing to do with the film it's got nothing to do with the film it's so weird isn't it they, they do that what, with the Wicker the... Man yeah the Wicker Man no, 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 of course it has um, I've, I've got a lot to say on this subject I mean so just so you know horror would be my mastermind specialist subject which is why I'm talking <laughs> so much but um, first of all I'd like to ask you because Wicker Man is probably in my top 25 all time favourite movies it's without a doubt wow. in my top 10 I think Yes. Where, where, so where's gonna, the remake? Is is that in your top? Uh, it's in my top twenty-five worst movies of all time. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> without question. The the bees, the bees. But uh, but the vi- the video cut down of it on YouTube is in my top five fa- five favorite YouTube videos of just yes. the highlights of him roundhouse kicking young women in the face. Um, <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna ask you because Wicker Man is one of those ones that I always think might not have ho- held up because it's so old, and you're a younger generation, and Midsummer's very modern, and I wanted to ask you which you prefer. Oh, that's a very You're good question. You're on the question. spot. I would say, for me, it's The Wicker Man, but then I do, I appreciate Christopher Lee so hard in that film. Mm. Um, I appreciate him anyway. I think, I think as well, being British as well, you can relate to it just a little bit more easily than you can sort of a, a Swedish, you know, Americans travelling to Sweden as well. Like, Summer Isle, it's just, it's an island off Scotland, isn't it? And, they're, you know, yeah. they're speaking with British accents and everything, and it's, it's, it is Believable to think that an island, even even now, like you know, some of the Isles of Jersey and everything, they they do seem very old fashioned. So I think when I leave believe- Yorkshire, I feel like everyone around me could potentially become a Wickerman cult. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Wicker so, so a couple of things is first of all, obviously, so they're, they're pagans and they they have a god that they sacrifice sheep and chickens and stuff to, so that their crops will be good next year. Yeah. And their crops have failed for th- the crops are repeatedly failing more and more and more. Lord Summerall looks like he's going to lose his um, seat at the table if he doesn't deliver the crops. So he comes up with this plan to sacrifice a good human virtuous virgin as you always have to do in Pagans. So he brings uh, the officer, I can't remember, um, Ed, Edward Woodward. Edward Woodward. Edward Woodward. 
uh, what the cop's name is, but he brings him Howie. Uh, uh, yeah, Howie over the over the. They say they've lost Rowan Morrison and she's gone missing, so they're trying to. He's he's there to investigate Rowan Morrison, and while he's there, he's tempted um, by the the la- the landlord's daughter in the local pub because mm. they want to test they want to test his virtuousness, and because he resists the sex, he's he's ripe to play the fool. And you know, and to get to the the ending, but the wicker man is there as the the sacrificial statue for the pagan god. The pagan god. So yeah. that's that that's the meaning of that at the ending. I would I would say so. Two things is first of all, I would say that the wicker man is isn't a, for me isn't a horror film. It's a musical. I would um, count it as a musical as well. People think I'm mad when I say that, but yeah, no, it absolutely is. It's a musical with really, really horrific and but also funny um, elements. But it is, it is absolutely. There's a song every five or six minutes, and they're good. Songs. Yeah, there is. I, I've got the soundtrack on vinyl, um, you know, and it is a musical. Play it every and Sunday. Then, yeah, that's right. <laughs> as I'm burning my, as I'm burning my chickens <laughs> and my pigs, um, so that McDonald's don't run out of hamburgers. Um, <laughs> but the other, so mid Midsummer, I really liked, but it didn't quite work for me. And the reason it didn't quite work for me, and I thought it was a clever about. Um, you know, toxic masculinity and all of that sort of stuff. But for me, a good, um, like, um, what what do you call them? Like ritualistic horror is that it starts out that this is a really nice place, mm-hmm. and then something something starts to seem to be off, and then actually like hot fuzz. Yeah, okay, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> exact, exact, no, exactly like hot fuzz. Yeah. Or or kill list was another really good one. Yeah, but from. Yeah. From midsummer, from the very second you arrive, they're you're all like, dodgy. Oh, these are cultists and they're going to kill everyone. So then I was going into it going, oh, there's actually going to be a really clever twist here, but and they're going to pull the rug, but it's not. They're they're just going to kill everyone. And, and there's <laughs> the reason why they the reason why they do it is very clever twist, but because from the moment they land, it's like, oh, I would just turn around and be the fuck gone. I wouldn't, you know, <laughs> you know straight away. Whereas Summer Isle is so nice. And so perfect, apart from, but then you get those trinkets of, oh, they're all dancing naked in the woods, and oh, the kids are learning about nice. the phallus, and it teases it a lot better. So, Midsummer didn't quite work for me, but now I shut up. Yeah, I think, I, <laughs> no, I do agree. I mean, obviously, like the characters around her, like with Howie, he's the only character there, and he doesn't have anyone to kind of confer with, yeah. does he? But obviously, like the characters around her are sort of dropping like flies a little bit. So, you might think that she would think there was something afoot. Um, but I think yeah, it's it's just the way the characters they're sort of groomed differently, aren't they? In yeah. terms of um, what they're trying to get out of it, like the, the wicked man brings us the victim brought in on false pretenses, although he is sort of considered what they would consider a, a willing victim. His decisions have kind of been steered by the locals, haven't they? Whereas yeah, he's the, they literally dress dress him as Punch at the end because yeah. he's the fool. Yeah, yeah, Punch and Julia, yeah. and then uh, then Medsummer, obviously they were he would. The, the cult were kind of tipped off by this friend of, of Danny, the, the main woman, that she is a vulnerable person and she could easily be manipulated. Um, mm. But then, you know, the, the circumstances led to her feeling kind of betrayed by her friends. Um, and the locals, they, they act like a new family, whereas the locals, I mean, I wouldn't say they're welcoming on Summer Isle in The Wicker Man, but they're not, they're not particularly unfriendly, are they? But, well, no, they're all like you can sense something slightly off, but they're all like, "Whatever you need, we're here to help." Like, what do you want? And go to you know, go to a house, and and it's like it's like they're not they're not trying to inhi- 
impinge on his investigation. They're trying to actively help, but you sort of sense that they're leading him on a merry dance. It's really clever. It's really, really clever. Yeah. Mm. And like I said, one of my top, yeah, without a doubt, one of my top films of all time, I think. Yeah, Great, it's, and it's choice. it's like nothing else. Yeah, brilliant choice. Mm. Brilliant. I think with all the, I mean, now, I mean, hotly anticipated as the <laughs> probably the greatest moment in podcasting history. Um, well, no, you're going to be, be got? You, you're going to be very disappointed because I'm not going to talk about horror in the traditional sense. Just because, fuck you, typical I won't creative time. Yeah, I know, right? So <laughs> I, I, I was going to go with uh, Day of the Dead and Della Morte Della More, which is an Italian zombie film, and they're two zombie films. So just very quickly, I was going to go for them because they're two zombie films that don't play like zombie films. They don't. Yep. No, no one gets chased and bitten, and they're they're sort of. Um, uh, taking a little look at humanity, one from a very realistic point and one from a very poetic point. But so you can check those films out if you haven't seen them; they're great. Seen them, but uh, yeah, oh, wicked. Well, then we can chat afterwards. Um, but yeah, so I was going to go with those, but then I watched Blonde, um, which you, you the know, new Blonde, you know, uh, the new Blonde. Yeah, you'll see where I'm going with this. Yeah. And sorry, I sorry I robbed it from you because I know you were going to do it, um, <laughs> Candy. Uh, so so. I watched that, and then after it, it reminded me of another film. So I'm going to talk about them both at the same time, which is Showgirls. So Showgirls I've seen is them both. <laughs> yeah, you see where I'm going with this. So Showgirls is written by Joe Esterhaus and directed by Paul Verhoeven. The Total uh, Recall, was, yeah, but, but also Basic Instinct. So that's kind of the link with with Showgirls. But yeah, the, the powerhouse. Um, uh, Total Recall and um, Basic Instincts. It stars Elizabeth Berkley and Karma Clacklin and Gina Gershon. And it's, mm. it's about a dancer who goes to Vegas to make it as a showgirl. And Blonde, which is just everyone has been talking about this week because it's very controversial. Um, and uh, Netflix's first NC-17, given for graphic sexual and sexual violent content, is yep. director Andrew Dominic's um, takedown, I would say. Of uh, Marilyn Monroe, um, Andrew Dominic made Chopper and uh, the assassination of Jesse James by Can't Speak by the coward, coward Robert Ford. One of my favourites. Yeah, absolute classic. And um, stars Anna de Armas, Lily Fisher, and Julian Julianne Nicholson. Anna de Armas plays Marilyn Monroe in a fictionalised account, a heavily fictionalised account of her <laughs> yeah. life. Now. So, you know, you can't, if you're in a film, you can't have missed this in the news this week. And Anna de Armas is absolutely stunning in it. She gives an incredible performance in what I think is hot, hot garbage. Um, (laughs) It's not good, is it? (laughs) No, it's really not. It's really not. And we'll go into why I think these are horror films in a second. Um, Showgirls isn't a good film either. And it's arguable that Elizabeth Berkeley isn't amazing in it, but it was a debut feature and probably only feature that ever hit cinemas. Um, and she was a TV actress. Um, and but she gives it her all. She really throws herself into the role. She does. She got um, she, she got big onto uh, Hallmark films after that. Yeah, exactly. She's because it was such a widely derided movie. Now, yeah. so I watched Blonde, and it's so nasty, and it overlooks any of the real successes or wonderful qualities her her intelligence and her wit um mm-hmm. and and her business nuance of the woman and just uh concentrates on her victimization and it feels to me like 
and it's the same with showgirls. This the the woman is just treated to a litany of misogyny and rape and humiliation, yep. and but just keep eagerly keeps trying. No, doesn't slap anyone in the face and goes home and gets a better job, or doesn't take does take sort of agency and as Marilyn Monroe does. But there are two reasons why these are horror films, and that is, it feels like they exist for two different. Or they have two distinct different audiences, and those I think those audiences will be men and women, and women mm. make up half of the people on earth. And I think men will watch these films because they know that the lead actresses are going to get naked and simulate sex, and and probably some incels will enjoy seeing them get what's coming to them. And I yeah. and 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 I just think that a lot of people, a lot of the men will be curious because they'll know that there's hot. So I don't think men particularly interested in a biopic of Marilyn Monroe. They might be interested in something that looks arty and is directed by Andrew Dominic. And I think women will watch it in the majority. I don't want to speak for all women and be horrified and might recognize things that they've gone through in their actual life. So genuine. And and I think it will be triggering for a lot of women. Um, And I think, I don't know many women who've got to the end of it. I don't actually know many men who've got to the end of blonde. I thought it was just so, I I started watching so mean. I started watching with my wife this week and she couldn't finish it. No, exactly. So for a lot of women and people who've, you know, men get uh, victimized with sexual assault or, or, uh, narcissism in the workplace or made to do things that they don't want to do um so it's i think it's going to be true horror for a lot of women and i think it's going to be and a lot of women who could get through eden lake very easily but won't be able to get through this but the other thing is i think it's horrific for these lead actresses who not only gave absolutely like anna de Armas gives everything to this role she spent months and months and months forget it's her don't you yeah, completely, completely. She's got the voice down pat. She's got the movements down pat. Her emotions are banging. But mm. she's also made to do things, and and same with Elizabeth Berkeley. Yeah. that no lead actor of her stature would be asked to do, to do in a Netflix film. She fillets the, the camera lens at one point yeah. on, a, on, a, on her hands. Oh, oh Gadget, it's worse than you can think. Ooh. It's... It's, so NC-17 isn't given lightly to American films. Yeah, because it's, usually... it's normally R when it's like an 18-rated film over here. Yeah, exactly. This is like it's an... This soft is like core a, shit. It, it's soft core shit, but it is really... So it felt to me like... And not only do they give everything to their roles, but they mm-hmm. give everything to their roles in bad films. Yes. And that's, that's really unfair. If you give everything to your role and it's an Oscar-winning film, and it's mm. written with care, and it and it, this film doesn't even respect Marilyn Monroe. The things that happened to her in this it's film, as if they hated her. Yeah, yeah, but they didn't actually happen to Marilyn Monroe. It's based on a no. book that is completely made up. So it's like yeah. you've taken a real woman, then you've got a real woman to make fake scenarios that make real women triggered. So what what are your goals? What are you trying to achieve in this? Other Shock. Than Actual shock, and that's. Have you? So I th- I, I've, sorry, Drew Craig. Have you read the uh, sight and sound interview with Andrew Dominic about this? No, but I, I've read clip, uh, read and heard clip, clips where he's like, "This is a masterpiece." I don't care. He's stomping about. Oh, he, he's I, been I, he's been stomping around the internet saying, "This is true art." Yeah, yeah that that, said, that, yeah. that that interview. We, we had a bit of a discussion on our Discord today. He fucking hates women. The man's yeah. a massive cunt. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
But it, there's there's it, there's there's one quote that, that I found in the inter- interview, which is um, the, the 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 question that was asked was like, do you think the film does much to unpack or reverse the idea of Marilyn Monroe being crazy or difficult? And he has a bit of a rambling answer, and then the interviewer asks him to elaborate on it. And he says, and this is the quote, well, she was a strange sex symbol because she doesn't have to die at the end of her films like Barbara Stanwyck or Rita Hayworth did. But she had, wow. But she had, to, she had to be a little baby. So when she sings Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend, it's like, is that sisterly advice? Quote, if you're going to fuck, make sure you get, it, you get paid, end quote. Or is it just romanticized whoredom? Like, the guy oh. is horrible. Wow. 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 I mean, the thing is, women. though... This movie going on Netflix, I guess there's still going to be people that are going to watch it. So, is it going to? It's not going to like exactly fail as a movie, is it? If you watch the, it's on a streaming service. If you put Netflix on and watch the trailer to this film, it's not what the film is. No, you would have Mm. you would have no idea if you if you hadn't seen the press and you saw that trailer, you'd be like, oh, they've made a biopic of Marilyn Monroe, which is exactly what I did. Yeah, yeah, and it's. What did you think of it as a woman? I found it very difficult to watch, and I had to watch it in two parts. Um, and it's certainly, especially the second. You know, the the first half was difficult to watch, and that was nothing compared to the second half. Second half is just. It was just fucking. Hell. And it's and my wife. My, my wife fats up to watch. She said, "I'm not finishing that. I finished it out of stubbornness." Yeah. I I got no gratification from this film. I need to put that across. I thought, I think it's a disgusting film. Mm. It is. It, it should. I mean, I don't believe in censorship in any form, but it should be seen as um, the hot, hot trash that it is. And yeah. I just figured that, yeah, you know, with six of us, we'd be talk- we're talking about vampire movies and werewolf yeah. movies and how. I've, I thought, you know, how can I? And and it was, I went back and watched Showgirls afterwards, and it's yeah. exactly the same. It's just like true horror, hey, isn't it? It's true horror. It's it's just the actress is given a role in a bad film made by men who don't like women. Yeah, it's, I think, it's, yeah. it's sad as well. The, it. meta, the, the meta score for it's as high as forty nine. You know, well, it's <sighs> it's. I I think I have a problem. More, I mean, not just the problem with like the content of what will be in the film. I'm not going to watch. It. I'm going to, at a principle. Don't. I'm not. But I think the biggest problem I have with it is that this is a dead woman, and they're fictionalizing a version of her life. Like you, you, there are films with horrible shit in that can be triggering for people, regardless. But yeah, they're yeah. based on fictional people, you know. It's original yeah. characters. This is this this woman existed. Mm-hmm. She was yeah. real. She had feelings. Mate, the, the, the problem with the film is they don't they don't respect the person that existed. No, well, he's already said in the interview that he doesn't. Pretty much <laughs> yeah. in the interview, he pretty much said he yeah. doesn't care. Yeah, I think um, not so many words, that's, but that's how it comes across anyway. But it it does it does fit the remix. Remit to it, and I think you've brought out valid points that did need discussion, and I do thank you for that. But out of all our um, double features, don't watch them too. <laughs> <laughs> True horror. True yeah. actual horror. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So on a, on a lighter note, our listeners, please tell me they aren't bring things up like this. <laughs> no, no, no. They, they, they brought up some, some cl- classic things which will just give you a nice little shock and won't make you feel sick okay. in your stomach. So we'll start with Xenos, yeah. um, saying I'm, I don't have much feedback for this one. I don't really do horror films. But in a general sense, probably Pan's Labyrinth. I had to watch mm. it for A-level Spanish. In terms of how I felt about the time was when I was seven. I, uh, uh, in ter- uh, someone copied this in wrong. I'm just, I'm just lo- lost in what he's written. In terms of how I felt about the time, and then it just goes, when I was about seven, I pestered my mum to let me watch a Star Wars film, and she rented a copy of one of them from the shop near us. 
it had not mm-hmm. been rewound and started in the Rancor pit scene under Jabba's palace. I know <laughs> it's not actually supposed to be scary, but I've never actually bothered to watch the films because of that experience. All right, then. <laughs> it's it funny what scares kids, kid. isn't it? When it's supposed to be like a non-scary film. Like, I remember watching um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Which it's not supposed to be a scary film, and it wasn't the boat scene. We have no way of knowing where this boat is going. I was all right with that. It was when she turned into <laughs> oh, a blueberry. The fucking chicken head's being cut off. Oh, I didn't get yeah. that. <laughs> That's in the boat you know, scene. Do you know oh, what yeah, film got... what film scared me as a kid? And it's a family film. Uh, the film Teen Wolf. Do you know when at the beginning <laughs> yeah. when he's playing basketball and they all huddle him and he goes and he comes out as a scary wolf, but he's not even scary. He's just a man. He looks, it's like Robin Williams' arms. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I, fuck! I, I, I couldn't watch Teen Wolf as a kid, me, and it's a fucking kids' film. <laughs> So uh, a, good, uh, a good double bill for well, not if you don't like horror films, but The Devil's Backbone, which was also Guillermo del Toro before yes. uh, Pan's Labyrinth, which is it's it's very well made. It's quite nasty in places, but it's yeah. not yeah, necessarily a, more of a spooky horror, uh, yeah. but with quite you know gory moments. Do, it's a very good film. I do I do really like um, Pan's Labyrinth. It's not an especially scary film, but it's got a lot. Of this like fantasy horror elements themed, that, isn't it? That yeah, uh, del Toro is so scary. good at. I found it quite horrific when I saw it. Actually, I would say that it was very. It scary. gave me nightmares. Yeah. I went um, to see it. I came home and I had the same the, nightmare. I found the Nazi stuff more horrific yeah. than the actual. That, that's what I mean. It wasn't even yeah, a fantasy. So do thing. I. <laughs> I mean, uh, this guy is scary. <laughs> what, you mean Mitch McConnell? That's the guy. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, moving on. Lee Davies has said, uh, I'm going to say Evil Dead 2, an American werewolf in London. I'm not really into scary films, so I've picked two of the more comedic end of the scale. They're both uh, films from the 80s, which is probably the golden era of horror movies, at least for my tastes. He's clarified that for you, Craig. Um, <laughs> uh, Evil Dead 2 is in my top 10 movies of all time. Well worth it. Uh, I've, I've watched it so many times. Bruce Campbell is, excellent, uh, is on excellent form in this with a number of iconic lines. American Werewolf is fantastic too, and that transformation scene is still the best ever. Also, Jenny Agatha, swoon. <laughs> yeah, sex scene in that. <laughs> so, uh, have we got any more? Yep. Uh, John Cheatham, oh. um, the, 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 the man who makes me pronounce horrible, horrible things because I can't do Eastern names. Uh, yep. He said, hello folks, here's my early 2000s East Asian classic ghost film DVD double bill because he's just that kind of guy, isn't he? He is, he is. <laughs> First up, oh, oh, first up, Banjong Pinsanthanakun's Shutter, uh, a, a mm. key film with, with, in the wave of amazing Thai horror from around the time. It's about ghost photography. Well, actually, it's about violence, shame, and betrayal. But this in the true Thai horror f- tradition of ghosts representing personal failings and inescapable past <laughs> transgressions as opposed to uh, J-horror's themes of social ills of the folklore of ghosts in Hong Kong cinema. The final shot wow. and utterly haunting reveal of this film has lived rent-free in my head for 16 years. Mm-hmm. Wow! Follow this up Great with movie. Kim Ji Woon's A Tale of Two Sisters, one of the banner films of this era of Asian horror I didn't actually manage to see at the time. Where Shutter is a tight, very personal tale, this is an intricate mystery based on a Josian folk tale of murder and suicide involving a cruel stepmother. Much like The Shining, it takes place in a rambling gothic mansion and the setting is a big part of the atmosphere and the tragic story that unfolds. Watch it and enjoy never wanting to look under your sink again. The effects for the main ghosts in these masterpieces may look of their time now, but all these years later, they still have an almost, almost unbearable tension and an undeniable atmosphere. 
Excellent, excellent double bill. I've seen both, um, and mm. I absolutely love Shutter. I love Shutter so, so much that I've seen the uh, Tamil remake, Civi, which isn't as good, but is also does tries to do things more with a lower budget. Really, really scary, brilliant last image. And A Tale of Two Sisters is one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite Asian uh, horror films. I didn't like the American remake at all, which was the nope. Uninvited. Yeah, seen it. Didn't like it. Cracking, cracking choices. Yeah. Oh, oh John, John Cheatham knows his films. That that uh, and yeah, you need you should Cinephile. listen to his podcast as well. Um, Holly Jackson has said uh, a Nightmare on Elm Street three, Dream Warriors. It's the <laughs> perfect blend of sinister early days Freddy and hilarious wisecracking Freddy the later films. It. Victims that you can genuinely <laughs> care about and are rooting for, and then are genuinely saddened by some of the deaths. I, that's a sentence. Victims that you care for and are rooting for. That's a. That's I a didn't sentence. care for any of them. <laughs> I didn't care for any of them in that film. Also, one of the kills is my favorite horror kill of all time. Spectacular, but she didn't say what it was. It'd be the, um, puppet, it's the puppet. It's the puppet. It's got to be the puppet. It's the, the marionette. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The puppet. I'd pair it with the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Also, an excellent film. No offense to Part yeah. Two. I do genuinely enjoy that film, but I feel Part Three is a true sequel to the first. No, I think two. I think two's the better out of them three. Actually, it's about yeah. It's, one it's, where, it's, uh, yeah, sorry, go on. It's the one where Freddy comes out of the boy, <laughs> comes out of him. <laughs> it's awful. It's, it's um. It's, some say that it's sort of a, a bit of a gay in the closet. It definitely metaphor, is metaphorical take. I haven't seen it since the eighties, so I couldn't. I couldn't possibly comment. But I, I'd be interested to see it if, if the I can two. See it the two now. lead boys are in bed sweating together. Oh, okay. All right. That's oh, yeah. not as subtle as I thought, then. It's not that subtle, mate. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, it's such a good film. Biggie, you're going to like this one. Newton Thomas has said, even though they aren't connected, the two horror films I tend to always want to watch, one after the other, are American Werewolf in London and John Carpenter's The Thing. Both yes. have amazing practical effects that still hold up today, and I pretty much watch them on an annual basis. I love both films, but it's a weird double feature, that one, in my opinion. <laughs> I, love them, I love them both, but... Like the the thing is, isolation, fear, American Wealth in London is shock. Yeah, you want to you, you want to put Alien with the thing, don't you? Alien with the thing. That's how you do it, isn't it? That's <laughs> isn't it, Biggie? Isn't that how you do it? It would if I was allowed. You're not allowed. <laughs> not so allowed. You bring it up every every episode. <laughs> but then I like the next one because this is a fantastic choice as well. Uh, yeah. Oh. A, if you love the thing as much as it sounds like you do, have you read the book? This the book sequel, the thing itself. Mm. No, I haven't. Okay, so the thing itself is is like a it's like a philosophical follow on to the thing, and it's about a guy in a psychiatric unit who they who he's a survivor from another outfit out in Siberia, and nobody believes what's happened to him, so they lock wow. him up, and then he gets a strange visitor who might be from the thing's planet, and he goes on a Carl Jungian journey through time. That's um, a badass. Where every yeah. every element of his journey explains one more of Carl Jung's philosoph- philosophical theories, but through the universe of the thing. It's it's one of the weirdest books, and it's Sounds only fantastic. sort of sl- slightly tied into the thing. But it's I'm banging to it. I've read it ten times. It's absolutely brilliant. Wow, noted. Okay, Add that to your Christmas list. Last up, we have Bjorg Prushmeier, uh, Prushmeier rather. Uh, he said, I've done the Ariasta double bill a few times now. First Midsummer while it's still bright outside, then Hereditary when it's dark. I love his mm. style and the way he uses human stories of grief as a horror elements. 
I think it works particularly well with the day and night settings as Midsummer is so bright and everything happens in daylight, and Hereditary is such a contrast because a lot of it is so dark and cold. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I get that as a I double bill. That. I just Hereditary just didn't hit for me. It, 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 up, it especially so up until the end. I just it lost it, goes cra- it goes crazy at the end, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> the, end, the end's what ruined it for me. Yeah, that's what ruined I mean. Ruined it for yeah. me as well. I mean, no, it, I like it. I appreciate it. I got you're just a big Harry Astor stan, that's why. You know, it's the famous just, scene halfway through, and that, that kind of lost yeah. me, but I stuck with it, and then it was the final scene. I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, no. It's the build-up. If You you oh. have to watch Hereditary a couple of times to appreciate the build-up to the ending. Well, the build-up's and all the great, but what it builds up to that is shown throughout the movie. Crap. There's, there's a lot of stuff in the background that you might miss. It's very good. I love it. I mean, it's very well, cool. Well, thank you for that feedback, listeners. Um, so, as always, links to all our extracurricular activities are in the show notes and at modernescapism.co.uk and please consider becoming a patron to help support our endeavour. Next week, Candy will be issuing us our homework, I believe. Do you oh, care to elaborate? I've got some crackers for you. So, I'm, yeah, like you said, I'm setting you all homework. I have chosen, <clears throat> and I'm going to reveal this in the green room in a minute, yep. I have chosen a film for you to watch each and then we will discuss it next week. And it's not just any film. It's a horror film and they are all campy as fuck. So buckle in. <laughs> Shit. In can't, other words. can't wait for that. If you're a patron, you'll get to hear what she's picked for us. So before we go into the uh, patron segment, I mean, two of you are welcome to join us in the green room if you'd like to see it. I need to be at work tomorrow, so I will leave it there. But I might, is- I might stay in. Can I, can I see it rather than stay? What I'm, what I'm looking at? We'll, we'll send you photos of it. We'll Thank you, you very much. Cheers. But before, before, before we do lose you, you've, you've, you've got a few minutes to plug your wares, mate. Come on, sell yourself. Thank you very much. So I've, I've, uh, thank you. I'm a filmmaker. I've just written and directed my first feature film, which is a Cabin in the Woods film. Um, it's called Unloved Ones. It's not a horror. It's a thriller. It's a, it's a, um, it's a home invasion movie to a Ooh. family. A family is taken hostage, uh, which is your standard setup for a home invasion movie. But they're they're taken hostage, and rather than being tortured, they make. They make the the hostage the hostage takers make the family torture them. Ooh! Uh, so and you don't really understand what's going on, but slowly we reveal what what the what the reasons are before we hopefully pull the rug out from under you and give you a nice big twist ending. Um, it stars Jamie Winston, Ray Winston's daughter. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, we're just finishing post production now, so it should be with you on one of the streaming services early in the new year. Um, and uh, then I am uh, also a creative producer on a virtual reality video game called Orbeats that is pretty much done now so we're just working out when it will appear on the Quest store there's a bit of a waiting list on that store you can't just grab a spot so probably in the next six to nine months Um, but I'm not going to we haven't revealed that yet we'll probably be revealing it at E3 or something like that. So uh, I, I, I can't say anything about that yet. But uh, yeah, so thank you. You can check out my IMDb page if you just Google me, if you can ever work out how to spell my surname. Um, yes. And uh, yeah, so thank you for that little plug. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much for being a guest and adding some um, expert opinions on our picks as well and for a great conversation. But we're going to let you go now because we've got to do some paywall shit. Uh, if you are not a patron subscriber, you're going to miss 
the after party. But for everyone else, this has been a podcast. Thank you very much, Mr. Craig Tuey. Good night, everybody. Cheers. See you, Craig. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Craig. Do I log out of this shit? Just okay, click so the, press uh, the red button. Red button at the bottom. <laughs> oh, there it is. Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you later, mate.